Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Paul Hammy. Good afternoon, good morning to you, sir. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, glad to be here. Listen, it's great to have you on. So it's uh, coming all the way from the, across the Atlantic here. So you're from Texas, you're calling in from today? Yeah, and it's about 104 Fahrenheit here, which is way too hot. So it's... What's, what's that real money? Because we're, we're Celsius here, so <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what it is in the real in the real mat in the real hot, numbers. hot, hot. Yeah, <laughs> like hot, I'm, hot. <laughs> I'm white Irish, so I would just you know frizzle up like a piece of bacon. So it's like it's rough. We're usually ready for this this weather, like you know July, August, but not this early in the year. This is actually terrifying because we're in the hundreds every day. <laughs> yeah, it makes the afternoons brutal. <laughs> i'm all right thanks i'll just stay in little old wet ireland so uh, <laughs> that's cool so just to give our, our listeners a bit of background so paul hammy went from working as a stockbroker for a major wall street firm to to entrepreneur he now specializes in helping entrepreneurs fix their finances and then buy assets to create passive income so you are a man that has gone through many lives many journeys many things and uh, now you're creating passive assets to, to allow you to do what you do right is that is that what it's all about that's what it's all about at the end of the day. You know, it gets a bad rap because people are like, oh, you know, there's all these scams online of like how to create instant passive income, which everybody's tried something like that. It usually doesn't work because it's a scam. You know, you have to play the long game, unfortunately. And that's one thing I've learned to be patient over the years is it's a long game to get to that, that end road goal. Man, my end goal is different. I always do jujitsu because that's like my, my, my passion thing. Um, so my, but my end goal is to be able to travel as much as I want, whenever I want, and just kind of live wherever I want. That's the end goal for me. I'll never stop working. I'm just wired that way, but I want to be eventually have just total freedom to be wherever I want to go. That's the ultimate goal for, you know, and how many people, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a very unstatistical thing, but I mean, how many people actually do you think get to do that in their life? Not a lot. And unfortunately, a lot of people wait too long to do it. So it's like I started traveling pre-pandemic. I was traveling a lot and I kind of built my life up to the point where I could do it. And then, of course, pandemic came along. And it's like, you will travel nowhere. <laughs> so so now it's like it's got me even more motivated to do that. So like my wife and I communicate really well with our goals. And I joke around a lot like I love Texas, but I don't like the summers because they're too hot. And I don't like the winter because it's not it's not like unbearably cold. It's just annoyingly cold. And then we get ice storms and so there's about four to five months out of the year I want to live in other places. And so we've kind of like, I kind of nudge her along like that. Like, oh, in the wintertime, we're going to go live in Asia. And then in the summertime, we'll live somewhere in a mountainous area where it's 65 to 70 degrees every day. Wow. That's, that's yeah. I, I can see why you want to get out of town now and again, you know, from the highs and the lows, you know. So tell us, Paul, what, what does fire in the belly mean to you? Fire in the belly, something that drives you, you know, it's, I come from a competition background. So, you know, you have the guys that are just kind of there to just kind of get the, the minimum done. The same thing, like in a job, everybody's got coworkers that are just to get the minimum done. And you get those guys or girls that are like, they're just driven. They want something, you know, you can tell there's something that fires them up. They want more than the average person. So that's what it means to me, I think. And is it something you've always had? Something you, you've 
that you live by? Not really. I really wasn't a competitive kid. Honestly, I grew up, you know, in a, in a dis, I call it a dysfunctional family. Uh, had dad was just a nut, you know, my dad was just different. You know, he had a lot of issues and so off and on single parent and then they'd be back together and wish they were single. My mom was a single parent. So, you know, that my childhood was spent kind of like just fixing people's problems and balancing stuff out. And I never really got to get competitive. And then towards the end of high school, I just kind of was like, I'm going to do my things my own way. And decided, well, I wasn't, they want to play football. My dad was a football player, American football. So I was like, you know what? My uncles were really good golfers. So I'm like, I'm going to take up golf and get really good at that. So I just had this one track mission to do it. And I was like, my parents were like, well, we can't help you with college or like that. So I was like, well, I better get a lot better and get a scholarship. And then ended up getting a scholarship, played golf for four years in college. Was, was did that, you know, and that really started it. And then jujitsu was like the ultimate thing that I really found a, a competitive piece to my life that really made me whole. Why, why was that? Is it the discipline and the structure or what, what was it about jujitsu that sort of spoke to you? Jujitsu is the ultimate thing. It breaks people. Um, if you go to a jujitsu gym, you expect to see all these like humongously jacked dudes and, you know, these really strong looking guys, but those guys, egos are too big for jujitsu. They can't deal with losing. So you have to learn jujitsu humbles you because you have to learn to lose. And that's not fun. It's like you get beat, you know, like this sucks or you're all somebody smaller than you and then you're getting choked out. And you're like, well, this is the dumbest sport ever. And then it's like, okay, I can take that attitude or I can look at it and be like, how do I fix this? Like, where can I improve? So these guys stop beating me. And then I was like, okay, and then I'm starting to learn. And then when I got better at jujitsu, I got better at life because every day in life we face battles, you know, it's every day something's coming at us like, oh, you got this problem, you got that problem. Instead of reacting, you know, I've learned over the years, you just take a couple deep breaths, figure it out. Okay, what are my options? You know, I mean, they're going to go this way or this way and look for the solution to the problem. That's really interesting because I mean you got to lean into it, right? Because you you can't run away and just well you can run away if you want. But, yeah, yeah, you can't run in there, but you get clowned out when you came back to class. So you can't do that. So, yeah, you learn to face it. You're gonna and there's times you're gonna beat it, and there's times you're gonna get beaten, right? So it's, it's a as you say, it's quite humbling to have a bit of both, but it's unreal. That's the structure, of like really, doesn't it? I mean, it, it sort of gives you that discipline. So when did you start that then? How early on were you? I was 22. So I just graduated from college and my best friend was like, oh, I'm going to go fight in the UFC. And I'm like, that's a pretty big goal. And I'm like, all right, cool. And luckily I've been around people that are pretty driven and I got to watch him achieve his goal, be on the ultimate fighter, fighting in the UFC, getting to travel with him to UFCs. And that's what really spurred me into traveling. I never, I'd never left America. I'd never been anywhere but South Dakota my whole childhood, except for Michigan. And then I was 22, about to be 23. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to go to this tournament in Brazil. You want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'm 22 year old kid, Brazil. Yeah, let's go. You know, and ended up, you know, having a friend that whose wife worked for the airlines and she was like, Oh yeah. Cause you know, we were young kids. We didn't have any money. And they were like, Oh, we'll get you these buddy passes. You just got to pay the taxes on it. So I was like, cool, I'm in, let's go. So I was 23, I just turned 23 and I'm walking on the beaches in Rio and I'm like, this is what life's all about. I'm like, this is crazy. That's awesome. So you got to, you got to see that life quite early on then you got to see what was possible. Yeah. And it was, and I tell people it was, it was the weirdest trip ever. I mean, it was like so many defining moments. I got to see this incredibly beautiful place. I mean, it, you can't even describe how beautiful Rio is. If you haven't, people haven't seen it with their eyes, the beaches, the water, the people. And then you literally go down a different road, turn around and you're in a favela and you're seeing these kids playing soccer with a, with tape, like actual balled up tape. And then like, you get this super sadness that pours over you of like, Oh my God, it's like, I'm a broke American hanging out on the beach in Rio. And these kids are they're really broke. Like I thought I was a broke American. I'm doing pretty good. I have a passport and you know, I don't have much money, but it's like, I can buy a soccer ball. And it was like, it was a really eye-opening experience to be able to, because when you look over there, it's like, 
they have a super, super upper class and then a lower class. There's not really a middle class. So it's strange, but yeah, it opened my eyes at a young age to, cause we get people be like, Oh, you know, America, I don't like living here. I'm like, go visit another country. It's like, it's, it's pretty good. You know, it's like it, you go to a third world country or like a Brazil where there's favelas and you see what real, you know, poor life is. And it's like, and those kids are happy. They're playing out there playing soccer with, with a ball of tape. And it was just, it was just life-changing. Isn't it funny? Cause I can't remember. I'm going to totally butcher the statistics, but there was, someone was saying it's like, you know, there's, there's Americans and sort of the lowest paid Americans, like $10,000 a year or something that is still, you know, a hell of a lot more than people in these other countries, you know? So it's like, you're the lowest standard in, in, you know, in America in terms of working is so much higher than other countries. Like that's crazy, right? Yeah. It's insane. We're just really bad at spending money apparently over here. Spending it or keeping it? Well, I'd say both. Yeah. The average American spends more than they make and they run up a bunch of money on credit card debt and then they owe money and they can't keep money. They can't invest. So it's a real battle here. Mm. Why? Credit's too easy to get. It, way too easy over here. It's like, they'll give you a credit, especially like college kids. They start you off and you go to university and they're giving you like, oh, hey, fill up this credit card application. You get a t-shirt. Next thing you know, you get an $8,000 credit limit and you're like, I don't have a job. It's like, how am I going to pay this? You know, so it's like you start off a young age and you can get credit. And then, of course, you get in these kids get in trouble and they got to shovel out of that and then student loan debt. And we're just really good in America, really good at taking on debt, which is not the best thing. I mean, our, we could talk about that for, you know, hours. Our government, you know, we're, we're so far in debt. It's terrifying. It's crazy times. I mean, but what? Where, where does the responsibility lie? Do you put it at the, at the door of the credit card companies or do you put it at the education doors or you, do you put it at the individuals? Where, where do you put that responsibility? Me personally, I put it on the education system. We didn't learn about anything in money. You know, it's like, I didn't learn anything. Like I literally got out of school and I was like, I had a college degree and I'm like, I don't know anything. It's like, it's like not a single personal finance class, anything. So I started getting around people that were business owners or successful entrepreneurs and started learning about money. And I'm like, man, if I don't know this stuff years ago, I'd be so far ahead of the game. So for me, with like my kids and anybody that I'm around, I try to educate them as much as I can and help them out because, you know, you know that's such an important thing to have a strong financial understanding of the world and money. Mm, that's, that's so true. So true. I mean, it's ironic. I'm a property investor myself and it was probably, it took me to get a mortgage to understand what a mortgage was. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> Which is crazy. Right? You know, it's just like... How, how do you go and get money? You get this thing called a mortgage. All right, okay. <laughs> it's like yeah, but we know how to do uh, Pythagorean theorems and all that stuff and geometry and stuff I've never used in my life. In the history of God knows who did what to when way back when. You know, and you're like, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, a couple of personal finance classes in high school would change the game for people. I think get them excited about it, excited about money and the possibilities. Tell me, what, what did Mini Paul want to do? What What was the original intention way back? Way back was to be a professional golfer. <laughs> You know, came close. You know, I played four years of college golf, was going to try to play a mini tours, but I was like, one day I got played with some guys that were really, really good. And I was like, man, these guys are so much better than me. And then I realized they were living in their vans at the golf course to try and play. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm not really going to do this. <laughs> I'm like, this is a big commitment. I mean, because it's a tough sport, you know, unless you really come from, you know, a very, higher level than what I was at. So I realized, you know, when I was gonna, my senior year, I was like, I'm not going to make it, you know, it's like, it's not going to be a thing for me. So then I had to find something new. And that's, you know, luckily when I found everything, when I moved to Texas. Mm, that sort of change. It's amazing, isn't it? Whenever you actually go through and, you know, having that exposure or having that, you know, that realization, you're just saying, yeah, golf, that's the way forward. And then you go, actually, I don't, 
I'm not sure about that anymore. You know, saying that it's it's a real thing, isn't it? That you actually you get that exposure, and it's and listen, that's what work experience is all about, right? You know, or sharing experience, or what college should teach you that all these things that are possible or not possible, right? Oh yeah. So then, for you, then the jujitsu jiu- only came in at 22. Yep. So before that, so went through college. What what did you go do going through college? I was going to school. I got a degree in criminal justice and business. The original plan was my uncle was a lawyer. So I was like, oh, that'll be cool. I'd like to be a lawyer. And then I started talking to lawyers and they were miserable. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to do that. So it's like, and I'm like, I better really get better at golf. And I got better, but I didn't get to that level that I needed to get to. And I was like, man, I got to figure, you know, something out. But so for when I was in college, it was all about, you know, college, you know, and keeping my grades up, you know, so I'd be able to get a good job when I got out of school. And then of course, just playing golf as much as I could and trying to get better. Doing that all the way through, that's a, that's a lot for you to do, a lot, lot for you to keep on top of, right? Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was a cool experience. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I got lucky. I, you know, wasn't recruited or anything, walked on, and I played on the traveling team all four years, so it was pretty cool. After college then, where'd you, where did you get to? What, what sort of led you into the, well, tell me, where did you get to? Yeah, it was just so different. My best friend was like, hey, I'm going to move. You had three choices back then. This is in 1997. You could go to New York, L.A., or Dallas. If you really wanted to learn jiu-jitsu. Those were like the three hubs. And he's like, I can't afford New York or LA, so I'm moving to Dallas. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then I was hanging around in my hometown, and it's a real small town of like 2,500, 3,000 people. And I'm looking around at the people that I looked up to, and I was like, they're still doing the same shit they did in high school. It's like, you know, everybody works all day, and then it's like, just get excited to go to the, the bar on Friday and Saturday, and then maybe watch football on Sunday, and then start over on Monday. And I was like, I don't think I'll, this isn't for me. And then of course I told my family and they didn't really weren't too excited about it. I'm like, you know, I need something different. I'm just going to go. And luckily my grandfather was super supportive. He was like, he's like, what's the worst thing that happens? You go to Texas for a year. You don't like it. You come home. And I was like, boom, that's it. That's all I needed. Thank you. You know, someone gave me the advice I needed. And I came down here. I literally had the intention. I moved down here. I had a car. Well, of all things, I had a car, a motorcycle, a dresser and an air mattress. <laughs> That's all I had to my name. You know, I left my golf clubs in South Dakota because I was like, I'm not going to have time to play golf. I need to get a job and work and everything. And then as life would have it, two months later, I meet my wife. It's just like crazy. I've been here 25 years now. I'll say, yeah, it's supposed to be just passing through and you end up staying for a long time. You know, it's. Yeah. Oh, I love it here. You know, minus, minus the insane heat and the occasional ice storm. You know, I love being here. I, I took it to take it to your wife as a local lady, is she? Yeah, it's funny. She's a local, but she was actually born in Laos. Um, and then her family was refugees from the Vietnam War. So she came to America and she was three. So um, she's half Laos, half Thai. Um, but yeah, and then I meet her down here. So yeah, so she's basically a Texan. <laughs> she's been here longer than anywhere else. It's amazing. It's amazing isn't it? You know, that actual, that, uh, you know, sort of people all over the country, all over the world, and you get to meet somewhere, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, so- it's crazy. So the jiu-jitsu was obviously got quite big for you then. I mean, it's something you, you sort of really sort of got stuck into and, and really you were something you were obviously a passion, I would imagine. Is that a fair to say? Was it a passion? Is it a passion? Yeah, it's definitely a passion. It goes in spurts. Like sometimes you love it, sometimes you hate it. But then the thing that I was able to do is these guys that were opening gyms, they were successful MMA guys, successful jiu-jitsu guys. They didn't understand business. And then like my best friend, I started helping him and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I started when I opened my gym up, people were like, well, how are you doing this? Cause you didn't win anything big or you're not famous. I'm like, no, I'm just a regular dude that knows how to run a business. And then my gyms would always do be- really good or better than everybody else's. And I had nothing to my name as like being a champion of anything. And then that's my first book actually is how to, how to make money with your martial arts school. Even if you've never won anything, cause a lot of people are like, well, you know, you have to win blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, you don't. It's like, I know broke world champions. It's like, you have to become a good businessman. You have to understand, you know, 
lead process, appointment process, sales process, finances, you know, managing your uh, profit and loss statement, teach you how to read P&Ls and stuff like that. And so I got really good at that and people really dug that. And then when I established that, I still had this thing like, man, I got to win something still. And so then I ended up winning a master's uh, world championship which was like the highlight of my jujitsu career. Cause then I was like, Oh cool. I've won something now. I did it. I did it in backwards order. I love that. I mean, you talk about a niche book. I love that. You know, so, how, you know, how to make money with your martial arts gym, even if you haven't won anything yet. Oh, yeah, it like, was very niche. Like, yeah. It was very, I was lucky. I had a really good mentor that really helped me target it out. And then I hired an editor and we went really deep and we we're like, let's just make this really specific. So then I became the expert in my niche because people are like, well, he's got a best-selling book. He has a successful gym. He must know what he's talking about. You know, and then you get clients that start winning and getting good results. And people are like, oh, shoot, testimonials. Okay, this this must be for real. What did you learn from the first book out of interest? It's painful. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough process. Um, I don't know. You, have you read War of Art? You probably have. Stephen Pressfield? No, I don't think I have, actually. Okay. Um, he talks about that. Uh, he's an American author. Talks about, basically, you face resistance whenever you're trying to do something. He talks about when you write a book or you try to do anything. Resistance always pops up and it keeps you from publishing it or doing things. So that's like the war of art is this battle with you and resistance. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I went to write my book and it was a hard process. And then we got to the end and they'd be like, okay, we don't have edits. I'm like, no, 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 I got to do another thing here. Maybe I got to change this. And I kept sending it back and forth, back and forth. And then finally my editor was like, um, well, if you send it back again, I'm going to bill you again. So either that or we're going to publish it. And I'm like, all right, let's publish it. So it was just, it was very nerve wracking because I have friends, I have two really good friends that started writing books when I wrote my first one that still have not published their book because they can't commit to publishing it. They've rewritten it so many times. I'm like, just publish it. And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, I'm like, you're just, I go read War of Art. And then they don't listen to me. They don't read it. But I'm like, you're facing resistance. This is, this happens to everybody. You just have to basically say, you know what? This is my book and it's going out into the world. And it's funny because they still haven't finished their books. And it's got to be four years now. That, that that sort of story could be similar for anything, right? It doesn't have to be a book. It could be starting a business to whatever, you know, step stepping out and finding their passion, right? Just oh, 100%. What, what's your skill set there? What did you learn about yourself in terms of what you are capable of, what you're really good at and what you're terrible at? As far as writing a book? Yeah, well, just I suppose even in terms of your own progression, writing the book, actually getting on, doing the gym, what, you know, what was the, the key things you were taking away? That I learned that I'm more of an integrator than a visionary. Like I'm really good at integrating and, uh, you know, going through and doing the things like that. But then I learned that to get to where I want to get my life, I have to work to become more of a visionary, which was something I always had a problem with. And I got lucky when I started the consulting company. It was funny because I was reading Rocket Fuel at the time. I read a lot. But um, Rocket Fuel at the time is like you got a vision, you know, a visionary and integrator. And luckily, I had a business partner who was just he was a crazy and visionary like this dude was like, like my job was we joke around was like to try to keep him from flying off on a rocket ship and trying to integrate stuff because he kept changing and doing things. And then at that time, it worked great because he was like this massive visionary. And then I'm over there integrating everything. But then he kind of phased out of the business and then ended up buying him out with another partner. And then it was like, okay, now we really need somebody to be a visionary because, you know, we got, in, we got two integrators here. This is not going to go well. So I've been working a lot on improving myself on that and having better vision and, and pushing towards the future. I mean, you're saying it's not really maybe your strength as such. I mean, but in terms of visualization, forward planning, et cetera, is that something you sort of strategically choose that you have to do or is something you, you take time for? Or, or are you normally led by in terms of what the business needs? I'm normally led by what the business needs, but I've been spending a lot of time, uh, you know, post-pandemic, during the pandemic was like, okay, 
let's really look at what the business needs and then delegate that to someone else that can do these things. And then I need to be forward thinking, spending the time thinking about the business. Where, where do we need to go to get to the next level? Because what we got, what got us here is not going to get us to where we want to get to. So I have to purposely like train myself and study and read books and plan out. Like I love to plan like financial planning and money planning and retirement planning. I'm like, Oh, carry the one dot. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This is great. But then business wise, I'm like, you have to look at it and be like, Oh, we really got to talk about this because we're doing the same thing everybody else is doing. So we look like everybody else is like, we need to create something different outside the box. And so really spent a lot of time the last year working on being more of a visionary, which has been fun. How, how was the pandemic to you? It was horrible. <laughs> it was bad because we're joking around now in hindsight, we can laugh about it, but you know, they deemed uh, gyms non-essential. So basically one day I woke up and they're like, Hey, you don't have a business anymore. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then my consulting company consults for gyms and I'm like, cool. So now we have no one to consult for, you know, so it was bad. You know, we, we took, you know, over 50% hit on the gym, you know, within the first couple months, consulting was even worse. It was like, you know, 60% gone, but luckily being in Texas, we were like, you know, when things started to kind of fizzle out, we were like, this is really strange. Like, you know, no one, it, it, it's so hard to go back and like, you know, hindsight's always 2020, the pandemic, all that stuff. But I was like, cause we, when, when everything shut down, we shut down hard. We were like, you know, we had to talk to everybody like, Hey, we're going to shut down for two weeks, you know, flatten the curve and all this stuff. And, you know, no jujitsu, no nothing. Cause anybody knows about jujitsu is like, you're like this with another human. It's like, <laughs> there's no six foot anything. So we did the two weeks and we were like, all right. And then they extended it and we were like, okay, this is really sucking. And then people were really supportive of the gym. You know, we talk on zoom and stuff like that, but you couldn't recreate it on zoom. And then Texas was being a little bit more lax, but it was being a little bit crazy. And then we were like a small group of us were like, you know what, we're just going to train together. And if one of us gets sick, you know, then we'll just deal with it, you know, and keep it kind of contained. And then the weirdest thing happened. Nobody got sick. We were like, okay, this is really strange. We're not getting sick. All right. And then some more and more people would start coming up and then Texas reopened, but you had all these crazy rules of like, you can only have X amount of occupancy and you had to have people had to be six feet apart. And we were like, okay, and then we got a thing. One of the people had talked to the, the state said if it was an exercise thing. You didn't have to have the six feet. We we're like, oh, thank God. So, and then the people more people would come back because everybody was so scared of it, you know, cause we were all scared. You saw the news people in China dropping dead in the streets and you're like, this thing's dangerous. And then, you know, we started training the classes got bigger and bigger, and bigger. And then I'm like, something's weird. None of us are getting sick. It's like, you know, granted it's cause we're working out and we're super healthy and, you know, I credit a lot of it lung capacity. Cause if you've ever done jujitsu or wrestling or MMA, your lungs feel like they're going to burn. If you haven't done it, you know, you gas out. It's like, if you get in a street fight and you don't know how to fight, what's the first thing that happens? You get adrenaline dump. You can't breathe. You almost, you feel like you can't move. So when you, your body's so trained at that level, it was like, it was crazy. Cause we were joking around. Like I should have gotten COVID so many times. I think I had it once. I don't know, but I never got sick. None of my friends got, you know, I'm, I'm talking hundreds of people that interact with hundreds of people and no one had anything bad. And we were like, and then the government was like, well, exercise is bad. And we were like, whoa, time out. <laughs> exercise is super important. You can't close gyms, you know? So hopefully we got enough, you know, when all this smoke settles from all stuff, there'll be enough research of like, if something were to ever happen again, people have to take care of themselves because we saw that a lot. Like, you know, people that, you know, were the hardest hit were the ones that were inactive. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's the physical health, the mental health, emotional health health as well right it's, it's not just you know as you say the zoom just doesn't cut it and i don't know what it was like over there but but over here you know during the lockdowns i mean i have so many friends now that are getting divorced you know because during covid they they lost their minds they started drinking too much they weren't going to work they weren't working out you know next thing you know they're separated and then they're getting a divorce i mean the divorce rate in america right now is insane like 
well, my sister-in-law's going through a divorce and it took her, I want to say over a month to even be able to retain a lawyer. Cause they're like, we can't take any more clients. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I'm in the wrong business. It's like, they literally couldn't take money because they didn't have enough lawyers for the people filing for divorce. I was like, yeah, this, this really messed a lot of people up. I mean, did it mess them up or did it sort of expose the weakness that was already there? I think. I like that. That's a good question. Yeah, I think and this is probably gonna be an unpopular thing to say, but I believe that was exposed a lot of weakness because it's like that saying, you know, more money doesn't make you different. It makes you more of who you are. So you see people that make money and then they're like, oh, this guy's a total dirt jerk. And you're like, well, he was a jerk before that, but now he's just an amplified jerk or the guy that, you know, he's okay when you're hanging out with him. When he starts drinking, you're like, this guy's, this guy's got issues. <laughs> he needs to go to counseling. He needs some therapy. So yeah, I think you're right there. It, it exposed a lot of weaknesses that people had. And then we've never experienced anything like that. I mean, I, I mean, to be told like, Hey, you can't go to work. You can't go outside. You can't do this. And it's like, what do we do? <laughs> it's like, it was crazy. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's mad times, especially as you say for gym owners and people there who have studios, et cetera. That's, it's crazy, you know, cause suddenly you're, you say you're stuck. Where, where do you go? What do you do? What's your options? Right. Cause it's not pretty. Not Dude, pretty. My wife and I would walk five miles a day. I was like, I'm so sick of walk. So all you can do, they're like, well, you can go outside and walk outside. And I'm, we're pretty active people. And we're like, well, we got to do something. So we would literally walk. And I was by, after about a week, I'm like, I don't want to walk anywhere. I'm so sick of walking, <laughs> but I, I just couldn't, de- I couldn't deal with being pent up because all, I mean, literally, and it was so crazy in America, like restaurants were closed where you could order food and then you could get alcohol to go. I mean, so it was almost like they were just like in, enticing everybody to drink more. I'm like, we got to stay active or I'm going to be 300 pounds by the end of this pandemic. It's the same here. It's like, yeah, we shut the gyms, but we've opened the off licenses. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's, that makes sense. Right? It was so weird. Yeah. I just don't, I don't know. Who, I don't know what the plan was there, but it's so strange to me. You know, hopefully looking back, they learned something. So what point then did you, is your second book came in? So I mean, to introduce your second book probably. So the money fight, pick yep. down your money problems, slam your, uh, slam your self-doubt and fight your way to financial freedom. When did that come online then? So that came on like right before COVID. I was, I was at a weird stage in where I wanted to get out of consulting and not want to do so much with the gym owners anymore. And I was talking to another mentor and he's like, well, that doesn't really make sense because you're good at what you do. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm at this point now where I can, the, the basic stuff we can just do. And I can literally close my eyes and tell you how to run a gym and make a bunch of money. And he's like, well, why don't you hire people to coach for you that take that part over? You still have that part of the business, but then do the part you love where you help people with their finances and understanding their P&Ls and show them like, hey, if you're making this much money and you don't have a retirement account and you don't have any savings, there's a huge hole here we have to fix. So then I would go in there and address it and help them set up automations to simplify it. And so we wrote the book as another positioning piece of like, you know, hey, this, this, once you start making money, this is the book you need to start building up money. And so this second book has nothing to do with martial arts training or it's just about regular people and money. Talk to us about money then. What is it, what is it people need to know about money? And uh, are, you, are you a bit of a, a spreadsheet geek? That's what I'm, I'm getting here. I was a big spreadsheet geek, huge for a while. Now I'm more of like, I use notes on my iPhone. <laughs> it's like, that's my new spreadsheet. I, since notes came out, I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever, but I do like using spreadsheets. But um, I'm more of that or a... um uh the uh compound interest calculators i grew up playing with those all the time because it's just it makes you dream like wow if i put 400 dollars a month away for the next 40 years i'll have 1.3 million dollars and it's like this is really cool and then you talk to people out and they're like well i could never be a millionaire and that's always like my party joke i'd be like no it's can, you know 400 a month you know in the sp 500 for the next 40 years you, there's no way you can't be a millionaire unless the world melts and 
we have nuclear war and the whole world's destroyed. It's like, it's just historically the market returns, you know, 10.3% in the S&P 500. And you just have to keep doing what happens. People will just stop their plan and they won't finish it and they won't invest when they're young. They wait till they're old. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big drive of mine. Like I love, I love looking at money and talking about money and show them like how you can do crazy things in life. Like people, the original world I was in when I was a broker was like, you have to amass this massive amount of money and then hopefully you can retire at 67. And so I have a totally different take on it from being on both sides of the fence. My thing is like, cause I was an avid oversaver. Like my wife used, we'd talk about it and she'd get kind of frustrated. Cause I was like, Oh, we got to put this in this account and this account and this account. So we don't have any money. I'm like, well, yeah, but we're investing for blah, blah, blah. And then my little sister passed away when she was 34. That was a uh, complications from a brain aneurysm, just super weird out of nowhere. And then that was kind of a wake up call to me. I'm like, Whoa, I might not see 67 and I might get to do anything. So when she passed away, I was like, man, we're going to start living. We're going to start, we're going to change the way we do things. I'm still going to invest. I'm putting money in my IRAs or putting money in the college kids savings accounts or health savings accounts, things like that. But we're also going to have an account that's just pure. We don't care. We're going on vacation money and we just do it. And, and it's been a really good thing for our marriage and for our relationship too, because we'll just plan like crazy trips and, and do random things. So like for our 20th anniversary, we were supposed to, I wanted to take her back to Laos because she'd never been. And so we, I planned this whole trip for two years and went, you know, business class to Asia, stayed in, you know, the Ritz in Hong Kong and then got to Bangkok. And then being, and I was an idiot, my passport, I didn't realize this is an American passport. The last three pages, you can't get a visa stamp in there for souvenirs. And so we land in Bangkok and I've been there a bunch because I have a bunch of friends there and through MMA training and fighting. And I've been there a bunch of times. And I was like, telling my wife, like, oh, just follow me. I got this. And I literally go in there and the guy's like, no. And I'm like, what? No, what? I come here all the time. Look at my, he's like, no pages. And I'm like, no, three pages left. And he's like, no. And I literally, I was like begging the guy. I'm like, please, it's our anniversary. I look, look here. There's a, it'll fit here. And he found one small spot, had to turn his thing and he stamped it and was like, I was like, thank God. But then the problem was we couldn't go to Laos because Laos you have to get, because it's country, you have to get like a full page stamp and all this stuff. Would, and so my only other option was to go back. I could have gone to the, uh, the embassy in Bangkok or Hong Kong. I'm like, not doing either one of those. But so we made the best out of it though. It was fun because we had this account and we were like, cool, we're just going to stay, you know, stay at the St. Regis, went on private tours and just had like the greatest experience of our lives. You know, a trip you people do like when they're in their seventies, you know, we did it in our forties. Cause I was like, you know what, we're going to plan this ahead. And then I'll stack things too, to make the trips even better. Like with reward points and miles in America here doing like, you know, flights and hotels and stuff like that. So try to amplify the experience. That's interesting. I want to just take you back. So, I mean, in terms of you were saying that sort of savings plan, that sort of 400 pounds a month, 40 years, whatever you're saying, roughly 10 point, what'd you say? 10.3%. 10.3. And the standard force, um, because you see, we don't get a lot of these things in the UK. So it's like, we, we don't get the same tax breaks, et cetera, you know, so but it's interesting, but I'm always interested in the compounding aspect. No, it's so, huge. You know, that benefit, but it's, it's the consistency, right? It's the people who continue to turn up. It's not, it's not necessarily, you know, groundbreaking stuff, but what they do do is consistently, they keep showing up and they keep pumping the money in and they keep doing it time after time after time. Right. You know, cause that seems to be the, the common entity here right? or the common factor. Right. Oh yeah. And I don't know if it's that way over there, but here in the States, we have a huge problem and we're facing it right now. People are like, Oh my God, the market's going down. I got to sell. And I'm like, it, 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 you, the market's going down. <laughs> you, you don't sell when it's going down. And they're like, well, my money's going to be gone. I'm like, do you need this money now? Or you need it in 20 years? I'm like, well, I need it in 20 years. Is it? I'll show them a chart. I'm like, here's a chart of the S&P 500 from 1900 to now. And I'll like, you see this little, little bitty dip here. And they're like, yeah, what's that? Like, That's the great depression. 
you know, it's like, cause if you look historically, the S&P 500 chart, it goes, but it, it literally always returns. And you can historically look at it. And this happened when I was a broker in 01, I was, you know, I started as a broker and then 9-11 happened in the US. I'm like, well, I'm definitely getting fired because the market's going to go to zero. I mean, I never, I mean, it was terrifying because one, you're facing this tragedy of, oh my God, what happened? And then you're watching the futures and the SP 500 is going to open up like down 30%. I'm like, we're all going to lose our jobs. Is there going to even be a country? You know? So it's like, I faced those times people come up on the phone and call and they're like, I need all my money. And I'm like, like, when do you need it? Well, I don't need it right now, but it's going to go down. I'm like, well, maybe. Yeah. But historically it's going to recover. And this happened in 08. And then even in 2020, my aunt freaked out. She was calling me because the market tanked in 20, when when COVID and not, when the lockdowns happened in the US, our, I don't know if your guys did it, but our market sold off huge, like 30% or 25, 30% huge. I had family call me because they always want to ask me for advice and half the time they don't listen, but like, oh God, should I get everything out? I'm like, no, I do not sell. No matter what you do, do not sell. I go, are you in crappy stocks that you don't believe in? No. Okay. Do you believe in the company? You think Amazon's going out of business? You think Apple's not going to make a new iPhone this year? Well, no, no. I'm like, then why would you sell at the bottom? I said, this is when so much money is going to be made is when the, the average person, when everybody sells out, that's when the real money comes in, buys the bottom and runs it up. It's like Warren Buffett's quote, you know, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And I was telling people, I was like, man, I wish I would have had, I was scared. I was still scared because of COVID, but when Apple got under a hundred bucks, I was like buying, buying, buying. I was like, man. And then I had money put away, but I'm like, oh, I got to keep some cash in case the mark, in case the world does implode. But I was buying in March and April of 2020. And had a crazy great return. Market was great for a year and a half or a year and three quarters. And now we're facing another sell-off. It's been horrible here again, but it's the same thing. I tell people, it's like, just look at the chart. Just, you have to show up consistently. Just do it every month and don't get emotionally tied to it and have a long-term plan. Cause everybody here, it's crazy. They'll just be like, oh, I got to sell. The market's going down. And then like when Bitcoin got up to, what was it? 65,000, like, oh, I got to buy Bitcoin now. I'm like, do you hear yourself? It's like, you're like, you're trying to buy at the high and sell at the low. It's like, we're, Cause we're not educated. We don't get taught these things. No one teaches you like, Hey, you know, you, when, when people are scared and selling, that's when you start buying. When, when, like when Bitcoin hit, we joked around when Bitcoin hit like 60 something thousand, we have this one friend in our jujitsu circle. Who's like, every time we talk about investing, he just rolls his eyes and he's like, Oh, this is the stupidest thing ever. And then literally when Bitcoin was at its all time high, he posted on Facebook, Hey, what's the best way to buy Bitcoin? And we all sent a message over like, dude, we should sell. This is the top of the market. And like three days later, it was the top of the market because it's people that don't know what they're doing. They get so caught up in the hype, like, oh my God, Bitcoin's going to a million. I got to get it. And then market goes down. They're like, oh, see, I told you Bitcoin and S&P 500 were a scam. You know, so it's, it's crazy. It's, it's exactly the same here. It's so it's, <laughs> same thing, same with property and all that. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing at the moment, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, for me, the market's overheating here locally anyway. Um, you know, we, housing we look, or yeah, housing market, typically all residential, um, commercials, see commercials had a bit of a funny time, obviously with the pandemic and, and the likes, but it's, you know, the number of people are sort of saying, oh, you know, again, it's like, oh, if I don't, if I don't buy into the, into the property market now, I'm never going to get in. And this, that's the kind of chat that we had back in 2005. And it's like, no, 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 follow the numbers and people going, well, is now a good time to buy? And, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's like every day is a good day to buy if you follow the right statistics or you follow the right formula. You know, it's like, I don't care if we're in the middle of a storm, middle of a pandemic, middle of a heat wave, whatever. It's like you follow that as opposed to follow the market reports or follow the headlines. Follow the headlines, you're screwed, you know? And it's, it's so hard. Is it hard for people? I don't know. It's, it's just people are, 
don't know whether they're choosing not to learn or not to listen or, or what. I don't know, right? It's just, it's crazy. It's just, we get that, we call it over here FOMO, like fear of missing out. It's so, it's, it's ingrained in all of us and we're not taught anything different growing up. So it's like, we have to figure this out on our own. If you don't get around a good circle of people that are making the right decisions, you never get to learn. And then they all sit around at the pub and bitch about how, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so got lucky or so-and-so did this. And it's like, no, they just stayed investing and they never stopped. You know, we have these crazy stories in the U.S. over here, like janitor at public high school dies and they find $7 million in his retirement account because he was buying, you know, freaking um, Apple and Microsoft because he was always working on the computers at the school. And then he dies and no one knew, knew it. He was a multimillionaire. He just, just invested and did it. You know, it happens a lot. That's the beauty of company, isn't it? What they call the oh, eighth, wonder of the, eighth wonder of the world? Yep, that's my favorite quote. <laughs> it's, what, uh, it's the most powerful I mean, thing. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, for you, when you're actually forecasting, what are you actually forecasting to? Is, are you generally looking for a number? Is, is there a, like a growth? Um, you know, what is it that you're aiming towards? Man, it's funny. Younger, I thought I was a genius and could beat the market. And then you realize, you realize real fast that being the market is, even Buffett says it, you know, and he's the greatest investor of all time. He's like, it's super hard. He goes, yeah, we get lucky and beat it sometimes. He goes, but you're going up against the top, you know, 500 stocks in America that are being rotated out. You know, if a stock sucks, they kick it out. So, I mean, it's like, it's a great, great investment. Like he talks about when he dies, he wants all of his money that goes to his ex-wife to go, to, it'd be an S&P 500 and then like an X percent into a bond ETF. But he's like, no, nah, I just want her money in that because I trust it, you know? And for me, I just keep a long-term picture because it's hard. Like, I won't lie. Like we were joking around at the gym the other day because I'll talk to some of the guys about money. And if people don't want to talk about money, I don't talk about it because then they get weird. But I have friends that are still brokers and we'll talk about it. But it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep a long-term perspective because I've been investing now for 20, because I tell people it's a 40-year process to get to where you need to be, you know, 35, 40 years. And I'll get down sometimes and I'll realize, okay, I'm only 20 years into my plan. It's, I'm only at the halfway point, you know, but then when you have a year like this, like I was doing really good up until, you know, this year. And then it was like, I lost a lot of money. <laughs> it's like, you know, it gets, there's some days I didn't want to log into my account. I'm like, I don't even want to look at it, you know, because it messes with your head. And it's like, nope, we're staying the long game. So I tell my wife, like, nope, market's going down. That's cool said, we're going to fund the IRAs, you know, what do you want? And she's like, Oh, get me Netflix and, you know, uh, take two, which is a video game, like different things that our kids do. So she'll, you know, always keep that long-term plan of like, we're just staying the plan, you know, putting money in the things we believe in and you just got to keep going. But I'm not going to lie. It messes with your head when you see those numbers down. It's like, it hurts. Well, I love it. Cause I mean, that, that was Warren Buffett's for you, right? Wasn't it? It was sort of the, you know, the aspect of, you know, how often should you check I'm going to totally, again, totally bastardize this in, in, the, in this uh, biography. Um, you know, and there was sort of like, you know, how often should you check your sh stocks and shares? It's like, yeah, probably as, as, as long the lines of as often as you get a new computer. Yeah. Like, well, that's like, yeah, you three years. It's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's the people that trade and, and jump in, jump out. And as you say, like people going, oh my God, the market's going down and sell or buy. And then the, the transaction fees and all the rest. And it's like, Dude, oh yeah they're the ones that are going to lose out badly because they're, they're just not in it and it's frustrating too then comes super emotional when you because i've been down that road like oh i'm going to be a trader i'm going to jump in and out jump out and i'm like okay this is really stressful and then i don't like this this is emotionally draining you know or like if you just if you're because for people who are listening if they don't know the difference like a trader is somebody who's like trying to get in and out and they're trying to squeeze a dollar here dollar there an investor is a long-term thinker that's like this is 20 30 40 years money that i'm not going to worry about now and i'll go in and talk to somebody and rebalance my portfolio but not panic sell 
because that's the, the biggest problem. And it was funny too. I should write this down and have it for interviews, but Fidelity did a survey of like the, the highest returning best accounts they had at the firm. And it turned out the accounts were owned by people that either dead or forgot they had an account because no one had logged in in years. So they just kept doing good because they never sold. And I was like, okay, that's, that's like the realest statement. You can Google it too. People listen, it's crazy. It's a real thing. They were like, our best investors are dead because the money sitting there is compounding. Nobody's trading. Nobody's doing anything. It's just growing. And then they're trying to find the heirs to the account because some people will die without a beneficiary, which is a horrible thing. Make sure if you're listening, you have accounts, have a beneficiary because you don't want the money going away to the state and government eventually when it comes unclaimed property. It's really interesting. There's a program on here and, and I'm sure they replicate it through the world, but they took a bunch of people, 10, 12 odd people, knew nothing about the stock market really, and then trained them. So they then had this. So they had this pool of novices that they sort of basically went through this and, the, you know, they televised it. Then they, they com competed them against a bunch of brokers, experienced brokers, you know, in their performance. And then they just took a general pension fund, you know, a very low risk, nothing, uh, nothing to see here, nothing exciting. And compared the three, the, the complete novices off the street did slightly better than the experienced stockbrokers, but the pensioners beat them all. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It's like, it's just the long, slow here? process. Yeah. Because, and the thing, if people look at like, if, you, if you're listening to this and you go Google like uh, compound interest chart or graph and plug number, a calculator, plug numbers in, it's fun. Because when you see that's the hardest part about investing is the beginning, the first 10 years, like it does nothing. It just kind of goes tick, 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 tick on your account. And then you start seeing the compound interest kick in and then you get older and it's like, woo, there we go. And it's like, you know, that's a hard part. And that's why it's a lot of times it's hard to have money into your older if you don't start when you're younger. So the sooner you start, the better. Is it all, I mean, what, what's your, what's your go-to, your weakness here? Is, is it all sort of stocks and shares, bonds, et cetera? Or do you, you spread it about? Do you tend to go property, you know, gold, bullion, et cetera? What's your, what's your go-to in the investment world? Yeah, I've, I've started kind of changing the way I've done everything since, you know, pandemic time. So before pandemic, it was all, you know, stocks, you know, the stock market, and then a little bit of commercial real estate. And then after that, I was like, man, I got to start looking at other things. So I still, I still do like, I tell people it's just like in sports, like with, you know, I use basketball as an example. I say Michael Jordan, every practice warmed up with chess passes. He wasn't shooting half court threes. It's like, you have to have your fundamentals. So I keep my fundamentals super in line. Like we, we max out our retirement accounts, max out our health savings account, any account that I have to max out, I need to, I'll do that first, have that invested. Then I create, like I said, a fun account. So it's like, you want to go do something. It's like, cool, whatever. There's money in there. And then another account I'll create is one for investing into other things. And that's been the most fun, but that one takes the hardest and the longest time. But in the last couple of years, I've been buying into other businesses as, as a, um, a private investor. So it's, I'm not like I have, I joke around. It's like you give people money and you get no say in anything. And like, you can't tell them what to do with the business because it's theirs, but then you own part of it and then you get checks and it's really cool. <laughs> but it's, it, to me, that's like, because you go through different phases of life because people was, when I talk to them now, they're like, Oh, I want to do what you're doing. And I'm like, no, you don't. I said, cause they're like, well, you bought these, these donut shops. I'm like, well, yeah, cause they're essential businesses. And so me and a bunch of friends pulled a bunch of money together and they raised, they did a, 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 a money raise to buy into this franchise. I was like, cool. And it was all passive. So it's like, when you, you're basically putting the money in, you don't have any say, you can't be like, don't bother them as you know, let it go. And then, but creating that, or people are like, well, I want to do that. And I'm like, yeah, but if you do that, you, you skipped parts one, two, and three, and you're trying to do part four. And it's like, you know, cause they don't understand, like, 
it's a long game. Even to me, I knew it was going to be a while, but it, it gets a little frustrating because like we went to the first thing, they're like, you're going to give us this money. We're going to build these places out. You know, you'll be lucky to see a dollar in the next 12 to 18 months. And it's like, well, that's, that's a sucky proposal. But the part I like about it is they were very transparent. They were like, don't bother us. If you ask too many questions, we just send your money back because, you know, if there's, if you're asking three questions and there's 400 of you, that's 1200 questions a day that we shouldn't have to answer. And I'm like, okay, I won't email. Sorry. <laughs> so it's a lot longer. I call it a lot longer game here, or a longer runway because, you know, you have to, they have to build the businesses, get them staffed, start making profits. And then when the profits kick in, then you start getting your checks consistently. So it's, it's a much longer game when you're doing that. Well, I mean, that's, that's really your risk capital, right? So, I mean, you have, as you say, you have the, the base level stuff. It's like, all max that's the first priority you know get the basics done and do them well then you're into the sort of midterm stuff and you're saying right again get that maxed out and then you go into the likes of donut shops other investments might fly might completely sink but who knows right you got to be in it and you don't mind it because it's a percentage of the overall stock right yep exactly yeah, and that's why I talked with my wife. She was laughing about it. She's like, so what do you do? You just wire these people money. You don't ever get any money back. I'm like, it doesn't work like that, but it's close. You know, but the thing is like, we, you know, I talked to, you know, when I was talking to my friends who are kind of into this stuff, it's like, you know, put money into, if you're putting money into deals, you have to realize it's, a, it's not technically a startup. I mean, they're existing businesses, but they're building more money, but something could go wrong and you might lose all that. So is that going to, is that going to ruin my retirement? No. I mean, I'm still going to have my retirement accounts or like that, but I'm going to be, am I going to be bummed out and sad? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to put it where my family in the situation of like, Hey, uh, I took our retirement accounts and I put all the money into these deals because I'm crazy. So I have to keep that fundamental in my head of like, no, you can't do that. You stick to the fundamentals. Uh, you've seen the new Top Gun yet? Not, not yet. No. Do you see the old one? Yeah. Okay, so I'm a huge Top Gun fan. It was a great movie, but it's like that scene when Maverick's like, I can't leave my wingman. <laughs> I can't leave my wingman. So I'm like, I can't mess with my retirement accounts. I can't mess with my retirement even though, even though you want to go off and chase something else. I like these as an analogy. It's like, I can't do it. It's like, I have to stay locked on. This money is not touchable. This cannot leave. But then I create another account where I'll go out and I'll work. You know, I'll do some consulting or I'll go work on a project or we'll you know, do some sales. I'm like, oh, cool, I made this money. And I'm going to put it in this other account. And then that's going to be for when the next opportunity comes around. And then if I lose it, we're still okay, but hopefully it's going to work out. We'll make our money back, you know, through distributions over the next three or four years and they'll sell the business and then we'll get, you know, that money back plus something else. But that's why I get so frustrated when people, they always want to come to me and they're like, well, I want to do what you're doing. And I'm like, show me your plan. Are you doing steps one, two, and three? And they're like, well, no, I just want to go all in on four. I'm like, no, you can't go all in on four. Well, what's what's your investor profile? Because I mean, you you, you typically get savers and you get you know sort of non risk risk takers, and then you get the other side, the risk takers that don't bet it all on black and go give it a word, right? What's your profile? I'm probably eighty. I, I always go back to Pareto's principle. I'm like eighty twenty. I've had to teach myself that because I used to be definitely put it all on black and buy a bunch of Amazon options and pray that they work out. <laughs> you know, and it's like now I'm like, okay, you've got to stick to the fundamentals. It's like you know, these guys are super successful, the Warren Buffett's of the world. These guys have a lot of money. They have it for a reason. They're doing these things, stick to the plan, do that. But then I also have the 20% where I'm just kind of like, woohoo, Bitcoin. And, you know, it's like, I put money uh, money in crypto, money in other things, but I always go back to the, some advice I got really, some really good advice I got back in the day from a wealthy friend. I was asking him, hey, because he was basically was trying to tell me that I wasn't ready to do something, but he did it in nice ways. Like, like, hey, I want to invest in this, this oil futures. And he's like, you know how they work? And I'm like, not really, but I think you can make a lot of money. And he's like, 
He's like, all right, I'm going to give you some really good advice that I got. He goes, whatever amount of money you want to invest in that, make sure the same amount of money you're willing to walk out in the backyard with right now and set on fire and, and have a cigar with. And I'm like, okay, huh? okay, that's a good way to do it. So like, if I keep that in my head, like when I'm doing crypto or things like that, you know, I'll, I'll buy a little bit. And I gave that talk one time at one of our consulting things. And another guy was when the market was going up and he's like, you told me not to invest anything more than I was willing to lose. And I was willing to lose a lot of money and I would have made a whole bunch of money. I'm like, yeah, you didn't listen. I said, the amount of money you're willing to lose, my amount of money versus yours, you don't have kids. I have two kids, you have zero. I can't lose as much money on crypto as you can, but I can also still can invest in it, but it's going to be the dollar amount that I'm, you know, where I don't have to go to my wife and be like, yeah, we lost the house. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, granted, if I buy, you know, when crypto is down, I don't know, what is it, 80%, 70%, whatever, it's so bad right now. And I'm just like, it doesn't change my life. It's like, I didn't go out and take out a second mortgage on the house to buy Bitcoin at 60,000. You know, you read those stories and you're just like, man, that's so greedy. You can't be greedy. It's like, you gotta be, you gotta think the long-term play, but it's still have fun. Like I, I love to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum with the hopes of like, oh, it's going to be a million dollars a coin, but I'm not going to put my family in a situation where like, that's our whole thing. But again, I think it's the long-term thing, right? Isn't it? You know, it's the same with property. It's like, you don't like the price you bought it at. Yeah. Wait five years and that'll correct. Yeah, <laughs> it it it's like a it's like a bad haircut. It will grow out. <laughs> it'll like, come back. You know, well, unless you're like me, where I don't have a I'm follically challenged, <laughs> you know. But it's it's that thing where, as you say, what human nature says, God, you know, we need to cut losses. We need to get out. We need to, you know, I can't stand to be here any longer. And that's exactly why. I mean, I, I feel that way about property. You know, when when times are hard, people want to get rid of the property, and it's like, yeah, do you know what you? <laughs> It's, it's when you get buyers like me that's saying, so you're in pain, you want to get out quickly, you're just happy to get anything for the property and you just want the pain to go away as quickly as possible. I'm I'm happy to do a deal with you, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm happy to help you. Yeah, why not, you know? It's it's one of those things, you know? It's unfortunate the I mean, way we're wired. It is weird, isn't it? It's just, a, is it a comfort thing? I don't know. It's it's just a safety thing, comfort thing. Is it's it gotta be something. It's, it's gotta be a mixture of all the above because it's just, it's so hard to describe the way, cause I mean, you shouldn't wake up in the morning. Like if I wake up in the morning and I see the futures, like the market's going to be down for the day. It literally can change the tone for my day where I'm like, oh, man, the market's down again. And we had like seven days in a row of the S and P being down. And I'm like, Oh my God, again, I don't, but it's not going to matter a month from now, three months from now, a year from now, but like on the day to day, if you watch too much of it, you're just kind of like, Oh my God, it's like, this is so painful, but it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I was, I kept keeping reminding myself, I got like, another 15 to 20 years in my plan it's like is this really gonna matter you know that just keeps me sane i love it there because i mean pre-pandemic we bought a bunch of houses and and the, the you know the, the asking price at the time and they, they weren't they're not expensive houses sort of 80 to 100 thousand dollar type you know houses where you sort of any residentials and and at the time you're like i, I wouldn't have bought anything that was like a hundred and five thousand dollars equivalent you know it's like that's too much, you know, and uh, I wasn't happy at that. So we, we, like I said, we bought this batch and no more. Now it's like, I wish I bought all of them. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I bought them all. <laughs> but, you know, then flip side, there's people who back 2007 were buying those exact same houses at 200 who are still, you know, still, still, still under, yeah. I'd grow the haircut from them, <laughs> you know, and so it's like, yeah, okay. So uh, that has to be a bit of a, in the, in the investment strategy, isn't it? You know, you've got to sort of know when to, you know, the old song is no when to hold them, no when to fold them. Fold them, yep. <laughs> and and sort of really take that right. You you sort of how do you do that? Is 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 that for you? Is it all about the strategy and saying, listen, you got to go in with a clear 
game plan you got to understand or you got to take it out of your control and saying listen market's going to do this we're only we're only looking at the horizon and what happens happens in between yeah 100 percent. it goes and, and again it goes back to jujitsu and training and things like that is you know if things are going bad they're going to go bad but at the end of the day it's like I got a plan. I'm going to get through this. You know, if I'm losing a match, I'm trying going to try to win. If I don't win, oh, okay, cool. But I stuck with the plan. So when it comes to like finances, I have to remind myself and it's a mental game too. Like you'd like, it's almost like a pep talk. It's like, Oh, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. You know, it's like when March, 2020 happened, I was like, I was literally talking loud. My wife gives me a hard time. So I'll talk to myself in the kitchen. I'm like, Oh, it's going to be good. We're going to get through this. You know, we're going to pick up some Amazon and some Apple and little S and P 500. It's going to be fine. Just stick to the plan. You got to stick to the plan. You cannot panic, you know, and you just ride it out. And then like, literally, you know, it doesn't make any sense how well the market did in the stock market and the housing market the last 18 months. I'm like, I'm like, I was joking. I told my wife, I said, I would not buy my house for what I could sell it for. It makes no sense to me. It's not worth what they said, you know? So then I'm like, man, maybe that's a sign that we should sell it. But then where the hell are you going to move to? Because everything else is expensive. So it's like, all right, stick to the plan. We don't need to sell the house. We know we're doing this, but like, with investments, especially, it's like just stick to it and play that long game. And always remember, if everybody's scared, that's a good time. If everybody's greedy, that's a bad time. You know, and it's and, and be the opposite of the majority. You know, always thinking that in your head, like how can I be the opposite of the majority? You know, how can I win at this game? That's where the real winning is going to take place. The guys who are buying houses, right? You know, when the market's going down, everybody's like, "Oh, you want to just please buy this thing? It's 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 horrible." You're like, "Oh, I'd love to buy this thing at you know thirty percent less than it's worth." So true. It is so true. I mean, for, for you, are you, I mean, I know for me, and I'll just, I don't mind sharing in, in terms of, I'm on a, like a buy and die strategy. So literally I buy, hold, and that's it. Now I, I, I don't particularly want to give it to my kids only because I think they've got enough to do in their lives and, and that thing, but my intention is not to, not to sell. It's just to, to compound interest, the whole work saying, yeah, it goes in a lot of taxes die on death. For you, what, what is your strategy, your long-term gain? Do you, are you going to get to the stage and all out or do you just keep want to keep that going? What's, what's your plan? Man, mine is, I've kind of said the same thing to my kids. I'm like, cause you know, it's like, I don't want to make things too easy. I'm like, Hey, you know, don't expect to get a lot of things because mom and I are going to travel. Like we're traveling in style and we're old. So there might not be much left. So you better, you better develop some skills. Cause my plan is just like you said, I'm like you with stocks. I buy stocks I believe in. And I'm like, I'm not selling, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, I'm just going to keep buying more of it, you know, and in the, but like if it's a stock, like I use Amazon for an example, I'm not giving financial recommendations, but like Amazon to me is one of my favorite stocks in the US because I get a package like every day. And then there's a distribution center by our house. They fly planes now. And I've watched the company evolve. Like I remember it used to be FedEx and UPS hauling the Amazon packages. Now they have their own planes. They have their own airline. Like they're flying their own stuff. They have their own cars. I mean, it's like when they get self-driving things. So Amazon to me is like a no brainer. So it's like, I've been accumulating that for years. And I'm like, then my wife was like, well, when do you know when to sell? I said, well, when we stop using Amazon, we'll be like, you know what? This company sucks. Let's sell it, you know? But until then, I'm going to keep buying it until they suck. And then I'll get rid of it. And then the ultimate plan, though, is to take the investments you get from, you know, housing and real estate and stocks and everything else and create an income stream and have passive income where you just get a check every month. And you're like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> it's like, that's the cool thing. I don't know what it's like over there, but like in the U.S., you know, with financial planners, things like that, you can go to these different companies, you can basically go in there and be like, hey, we've got this much money, we might live to this long, you know, we want to set up an income plan, I want to get this much money direct deposited to my account every day on the first of the month, and they'll be like, all right, cool, we need to do, you know, 70% bonds, 20% stocks, and 10% real estate, and you'll get this money, 
And then it's always funny because they're like, well, you need to do like four or 5% so you can leave something behind. I'm like, no, let's, let's bump that number up. It's like, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have an income stream where I'm just like, I got to, you know, because eventually we'll have grandkids and stuff like that. And you want to spoil them. And it's like, you know, extra money like that is cool. Cause it's like, you can't take it with you. It's so true. And, and funny in the, in the property world, I know myself and, and, and I'm sure it's the same everywhere. It's, it's understanding, you know, what an asset is for and what an income is for, you know, and it's, and I've seen it here because, I mean, I do a bit of property training and things. So people will, they're bored of their jobs. They'll say, oh, property looks good. They'll, they'll get into sort of a bit of property trading, some holding, some trading, all the rest. The problem then is they lean their income on that. It's like, this is like kind of getting yourself a golden goose and then riding on its back. It's like, it's like the goose can't really walk very well because you're sitting on it the whole time. And it's trying to explain to people saying, well, treat that asset as a bank. You know, and just keep taking money from go, go, go do what you do, go get your niche, whatever the hell it is, you know, MMA, whatever, 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 and then pump it from the, the surplus cash from there across to your asset bank, whatever is property, stock, shares, etc. Because so many people try and lean on it too quickly, right? And they're sort of going, you're, 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 you're missing the whole company, you're missing everything else, you're trying to milk it before the things even go yeah. off the ground, right? Yeah, and I just it, see that time and time again. And you see it a lot. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause they're trying to, they're trying to get an income stream off of something that's not ready for that yet. It's too, it's too immature. Like I said, it's like a duck that can't, you try to fly and it can hardly walk with you on its back. <laughs> that was a good analogy. Do you think, do you think it is because, I mean, you know, I don't know even my, my parents' generation, they were savers. Mm -hmm. um, and here we're spenders, you know, yep. my generation is very much like, you know, before it was like, well, we'll save up. We'll maybe take a little bit of debt, but we'll save up and then we'll buy what we can afford. Whereas now it's like, no, no, I'll have it today and then I'll pay for it whenever, right? Whenever. You know, on the, on the, on the never, never, or not pay for it, whatever the case may be. You know, that generational thing and then mixed in with, you know, I've had it before. People, you know, buying, you know, buy an asset. You might say, well, for 20 grand down, you'll get, you know, two equivalent £200 or $200 a month, you know, and also then the actual, it'll compound by 10% as well. And people go, it's 200, you know, 20 grand and I'm only getting 200 pound a month back. Yeah. <laughs> hardly worth the hassle, is it? You know, and you're like, that's 20% year on year. <laughs> like, yeah. They want to, they want to get a paycheck from the house. It's like, it doesn't yeah. work that way. <laughs> and they do. And they're just, cause it's like, oh, well, listen, I mean, I've, I've just bought a new Range Rover or whatever. And it's like $50,000 and you're like, what? Well, you didn't buy it. You're paying somebody and chances are it's <laughs> finance from God knows where. Right. Oh yeah. You know? Uh, how how do you get it into people i mean is that is that for you what the education is all about helping people showing people giving people the blueprint you know really sort of building those you know as you call it the secrets to building wealth it's they're not well there shouldn't be secrets i don't think they're secrets yeah. but it's it's that aspect of showing people and going back to basics saying this is how it works yeah and that that's one thing that makes you feel really good because you get people that'll send you a message like oh hey i started doing this this and this they'll send you a screenshot of an account and they're like i have ten thousand dollars now i never thought i have ten thousand dollars and i'm thinking in my head like oh my god you you're really behind but to them i can't say that out loud to them because they would they never would have gotten anywhere and then it's like then i always tell them like all right cool you know you got to 10 this is great i said but the next goal is and i think it was charlie munger said the first hundred thousand dollars is a uh, you know is hell basically i said okay cool you got the 10 and like you were talking about earlier with the houses, I'm like, you can't, don't touch this money. You're at 10. I said, that's a great start. And they're like, well, but I never thought I'd have 10. I'm like, no, no, you need to get to hundred. And then they're like, okay. 
how do I do that? I'm like, you keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Put money in every month. Well, okay. Oh, hey, I got a raise. Cool. Then now I'll add a, a little bit more every month and then they'll get their market returns. And they're like, oh, you know, I did it. And then it's so rewarding because unfortunately, like we're not designed or taught to do that. Like, you know, keep, I don't remember having a class in high school. It's like, well, here's how you get your first $10,000 in the market. I'm like, what? That'd be cool. I, I signed up for that class first day. <laughs> that have been my favorite class but we don't get it. So I like to do stuff and help people and I'll put stuff on social media. And it's funny to think of people like, Oh, you're, you know, these crypto scams, whatever. It's like, no, it's like real advice of like investing and putting money away and, and do the thing you want. Cause you can do it any way. Like you say, you're more of a property guy or I'm more of a stock in investing, but it's the same thing. It's like taking money and creating assets that you believe in that you understand. So some people are like, Oh, I hate the stock market. I'd never do it. And I'm like, cool, don't do it. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, create an account, save up money, get a good relationship with a banker and be like, hey, when I get this much money, how much house can I get that I could turn into a rental? And they'll help you. It's like, people are like, oh, okay, I like that better. I'm like, cool, you don't have to do stocks. You can do houses. You can do commercial real estate. You can do so many different things now. I mean, it's wild. We're living in a crazy time where things have changed so much with apps now. You're getting all these crazy different things now where you you can invest in different companies. You can do all these different things. And it's really cool to see where the future's headed. But the key there, I suppose, is do something. Just, Just start. Do something. <laughs> Just do something. <laughs> you got to start. You have to start because oh, you're going to wait. And I talk to people all the time. It's like I had clients. It was back in, and I, I felt bad because I was doing, I was running the timeline. I'm like, it was a 2018. We had a, a big event. And my presentation was like, you know, how to prepare for the coming recession. People are like, whoa, what do you mean a recession? I'm like, uh, 2008 was the last one and we're uh, 10 years without a recession. Something bad's going to happen. You know, I didn't think it was gonna be a freaking pandemic. I thought it was going to be, a, you know, Hey, recession is going to come. No big deal. You just, you know, you work harder. You, you know, you hustle a little bit more to keep your income at the level and you still keep investing and you'll be fine. Then the pandemic came in. People were like, I had so many people messaging me during the pandemic. They were like, man, I wish I would have listened to you. You know, blah, blah. You're telling me two years ago and I never did anything. And I was going to start. And I'm like, start now. And they're like, well, there's a pandemic. I'm like, yeah, start now. Open up, open up a Robinhood, a Fidelity, a Schwab account, and put a dollar a day in there. Well, what difference is that going to make? I'm like, more than your zero is. <laughs> it's like, but people are people. It, it's so weird. They think they have to have like a whole bunch of money. Well, when I get like a hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to start investing. I'm like, do you know how hard that is to accumulate a hundred thousand dollars? Start investing. It's like, but if you start investing, you accumulate a hundred thousand dollars a lot faster than the guy who's trying to get a hundred thousand dollars and then start investing. And then I explained it to them. They're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So if I start, I can get to this number. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's like the guys who come into the jujitsu gyms. They'll be like, man, I'm going to get in shape first. And then I'm going to come in and start training. I'm like, I'll never see you again. And when I was first starting out in the business, I would never say that to somebody, but now I'm, I'm very blunt. I'm like, uh, they'll say like, oh, you know, I, I got to get in shape first. I'm like, you'll never come back. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, it doesn't work. You can't get in shape for this by going and doing something else. I said, you come in here, you start doing classes, then you get in shape, then you can do more classes and more advanced classes. They're like, oh, I didn't think about it like that. I'm like, yeah, I said, you're the 1,245th person to tell me you were going to do this and no one ever comes back. And I'll see you at the gym six months from now. And, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, I'll still start doing jujitsu. And it's like, because they're just so scared to, you know, to take action. I, I love that. I don't know why it's reminding me of that saying, you know, it's like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, listen, bring in a plan if you want. We'll give it a whirl. You're going to get punched in the face very shortly, and uh, but that's okay because we can put we can put a new plan around the the, you know, the face punching. You know, 
so it is that aspect of going listen roll with it go with it you know and it's like that's fine you know you got to take it on board because you know there's no such thing there's no great time to start families there's no great time you know waiting to buy a house waiting to get in the stock shares whatever you know it's like I've said to anyone, every day is a good property day, you know, for investing. If you follow the right formula and the right statistics, you know, um, you can buy the, you know, the, the best house in the wrong street and, you know, you can be upside down or vice versa. You can buy the, the worst house in the best street and it'd be the best thing ever. So, but at least you got to be moving, right? You got yeah, to be moving. And it's a thing too. If people are like, well, when I get, when I get to this level, I'm going to do this. And we all tell ourselves that, like, I always tell myself like, oh, you know, with, with our companies, I'm like, oh, when we get to this level, or we'll have breathing room. We're never going to have breathing room. <laughs> it's like, to me, that's one of the biggest scams that we've been taught over life is like, well, you got to, you just got to wait till you get breathing room. It's like, if I would have been doing that, I'd still be, you know, doing nothing because I never have breathing room. It's like, every time I get to another level, I end up having to do more stuff. And then you run out of breathing room again. And you're like, yeah, we're just, I don't think we're designed to ever have that. And people use it as a, a, a kind of a crutch to lean on, like, you know, well, I'm just not ready yet because I need more breathing room. You know, we, we, we got to get numbers up, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, you, you can't wait. You have to start now. You have to start now with everything. It, it, be, it even relates to your fitness. It's like people are like, oh, you know, I'm going to start a diet after the holidays. And I'm like, that's a horrible idea. I mean, it's like, no, start, start, don't start a diet, start a plan, eating plan. Like, hey, you know what? I'm going to eat well. And then on the holiday, I'm going to eat really bad. So that day I'm going to go for a three mile walk in the morning with the kids and you know, plan for it instead of everybody thinks they have to go. So, oh, I got to fix these things first before I can do anything. And then they never do it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Interesting. So you've set aside really a 40 year plan for you. Have I understood that correctly? Correct. So you're 20 odd years into this. Yep. <laughs> I'm a you're, 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 <laughs> so, you, so your plan, I mean, you've, you've another 20 years to go on this plan. I mean, that's, and that's, that's the cycle that you're seeing right now, right? And that's really interesting because I mean that that for it's it's so long, which is great. And, and you know, <laughs> like, tell me, I mean, what where did that come from? What gave you that idea, or what what was the sort of overall? Is it a, is it looking at the long term market forecast and, and taking? Yeah, it's a it's a fluid model. So and it, it literally goes back to when I got hired as a stockbroker, and we'd be in classes, and they were like, "Well, you know, if you max out your IRA, and we'd have these little charts, and you'd look at it, and I was like, oh my god,' because when I got hired as a broker, I never met anybody with money, you know, and I'm getting phone calls and the account pops up on your screen and there's $3 million in it. You're just like, Oh, I don't know how to talk to this person. And you talk to them and they're just a regular person. You're like, Oh wait, you're, you're, you're normal. Like, I thought you were going to be like this, you know, sound like they went to Cambridge or something, you know, and smoking a pipe. And it's like some random, you know, husband and wife. And they're like, no, we just put money away every month for 40 years. And now we've got $3 million. And I'm like, it's that easy. It really works. Oh my God. And like, I'd see it all day, every day. It's like people accounts would pop up and you're just like, and then I got it, it to me, it exposed me to money. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. And then I get the calls where the person was just a disaster where they're like, Oh, I got to sell everything, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, what's your time frame? Oh, you know, I, I just got to get it now. And it's like, it's not really a time frame, but okay, it's your money. I'll send it to you, boom, you know, and send it to them. So I started talking to people that were, had played the game for a long time. And so when I say the 40 year plan, it's it's multiple layers. So the 40 year plan is just the fundamental plan of retirement between like IRAs, health savings accounts and having that. So that's the 40 year plan. And then there's another plan on top of that one. And another one, it's like, I compound everything. So the 40 year plan is just retirement accounts and like health savings, things for retirement. And then there's another plan where it's like, okay, for the next five years, we're going to buy into X amount of businesses to create X amount of cash flow. 
because what my plan is, and I think it's so available to people if they do it, if they would just start putting money away now is to buy income producing things where it's like, so in five to 10 years, I would have enough from other businesses that pays me what my job pays. So it's like, I don't have to work if I don't want to, but then I still have the 40 year plan on the fundamentals of retirement. So I, I layer them on top of each other. So I have multiple, multiple goals. What's, what's the main takeaway for you is, is it a case of earn more or save more? I mean, is there a bit of both or does it depend where you're at in your life? It's, it's both. I think, especially, I think, I don't think it ever changes until you finally in kind of, kind of call it quits and be like, Hey, I just want to live on my income now because like you were saying, you, you bought a Range Rover. So it's like, you, you like nice things and you're like, Oh, I want to get that. And then five years from now, it's probably gonna be something even nicer that you're going to want. Cause you're like, it's how we're just wired. And you're like, well, that was, a, it's like when I bought my first, I bought a Lexus. And to me, that was a huge deal. And it was like, Oh my God, I always wanted a Lexus. Then I got one and I'm like, Huh, it's a cool car. <laughs> it's like, what's the next one? You know? And it's like, so I think you have to do both. You have to save more, but you also have to earn more and to get to where you want to be. Cause some people are like, well, I'll do this, this, and this. But if you do both, you can get more money compounding faster Then you can put more money into different deals, things like that. And then the cool part is when we get older, I mean, theoretically, historically, like our prime earning years are between like 50 and 60. So you know, you're going to have it. And I don't know if that's way over there is over there, but the U S like theoretically the prime earning years is that, that 10 year cycle. And then after 60, it's kind of like, whatever, some people start retiring. But so I was like, 50 to 60 is going to be like more money comes in and we're just going to keep buying more stuff and we'll do more real estate stuff. We'll do more commercial property stuff. We'll do more things like that, but I won't deviate from my 40 year plan on my core retirement for my family. I, I mean, I just, um, um, I love that. It's the fact, and I don't know whether, he, you know, I suppose here it's, it's, and when you talk about the true definition, well, let me ask you what, what to you is the proper definition of passive income then? To me, passive income is money that you just, you go, you check your, wake up in the morning, you check your account and money went into it. Right. So it's so, hands off. It's in, you locked in and forget about it, walk away. You don't have any, any trading to do at, at all, right? Exactly. And I still like to trade. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll always have a trading account because I'm just wired that way. Like I joke around, like I don't do heavy trades, but like I keep my, like I said, I keep my retirement plan as the plan, but I still have a trading account where I'm like, oh, I think Amazon might go up and then I'll go buy some options on Amazon, you know, and it's, my wife calls it gambling. I'm like, yeah, it kind of is because people understand options, they expire and they can expire worthless. So you never put a lot of money into them. But to me, it's just a fun thing that reminds me of being a broker and, and enjoying those, getting those quick wins and having fun like that. But like when I do, like for an example, like you, you do real estate stuff, like for me, I'm not a good real estate guy. I mean, I, I might be able to, if I've had the time to put into it, but I don't have the mental bandwidth. So like when I do real estate stuff ends up being completely passive because I'll do a syndication deal where like they're raising money and they're like, Hey, we need this much money and you get this much percentage. And I'm like, okay, cool. Here's my money. Where do I wire it to? And then, but the best part is I don't get the return that I would if I did a property on my own, but I don't have to deal with anything. So to me, that's like, that's the game. That's the end game, but it takes forever to get to that point because you have to build up money. And then I don't know how to, the states can be a little different because they have accredited investor requirements. You have to hit a certain points, things like that. But once, once you hit those points though, I tell people it changes the game. Like it, it's, it, to me, it's kind of BS that they have that. Cause I don't understand why we would exclude people from investing in things that give them opportunity. You know, we do in the States where it's like, if you're not, Oh, if you're not an accredited investor, you can't get on this syndication deal. And it's like, but they're just buying a building and they're pulling money together. What's well, like, well, you're not accredited. And it's like, 
yeah, I'm 26 years old. How do I get accredited? They're like, well, you need a million dollars in investable assets. And I'm like, I'm 26. <laughs> it's like, you know, but then you get in your forties and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Now I get in the last couple of years getting in on some of these deals has just been like, to me, I'm like, this is where it's at. You know, this is, but at the same time, I have to keep my head straight because there are some guys, hope they're not listening to this, that are in, in some of the syndication things I'm in where they have taken their money out of their retirement accounts to do deals. And I'm like, I'm like, don't do that. And they're like, well, you know, I talked to my, I'm like, like, they're two different things. I said, do both. And then, but they can't get their, like, well, no, you know, the market could go down. So I'm going to take this out and put it in this deal. But I'm like, well, just, you can do both. <laughs> and it's a hard conversation, but to them, you know, and, and I hope it works for them. I, hope, I mean, I hope they do, you know, maybe they will do better in real estate than they would in other things, but syndication deals and things like that, to me, that's, that's like my, my next five and 10 year dream is just, you know, getting, doing as many things as that as I can. So that I have to make more money to do more deals. <laughs> but with the thing is like you mentioned earlier about people get into houses and they're like, Oh, I want an income stream. Like when I do these deals, I, when I talk to the people about, I'm like, I talk about my side. So we're not going to make any money off these. She's like, what do you mean? I said, every dollar that comes in, we're going to, we're going to put it into something else. We're going to compound it. I said, I said, the next five years, are going to, are going to set us up for a crazy retirement. She's like, well, how I go, cause we're not touching a dollar that comes back to us. She's like, well, but you're going to get the money. I said, yeah, I'm getting the money back. I'll get it. You know, I'll leave it in my brokerage account. I won't invest it. I'll just keep it in a cash position. And then when the next deal comes up and like, Hey, you know, we got, you know, we got a multifamily, blah, blah, blah. Or we got, you know, five, uh, uh, spicy chicken sandwich restaurants. And I'm like, okay, where do I send the wire? And so, so it was a little bit of buy-in for her, but she's really cool. We communicate a lot about money. And I'm like, if we do this right. I said, because we're never going to stop from plan A. Plan A is the fundamentals, my retirement, our retirement, I'm sorry, our retirement, my IRA, her IRA, the US, they're separate. You can't combine them. Um, and your health, our health savings account for retirement. I said, that is never going to change. But if we can take the next couple of years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, and never spend a dollar that we get back from these deals and put them into more deals, you don't understand how much power compound effect has when that happens. Because you're taking money that it just, you created money from something and then you take that money and put it in something else. It's like you're creating more and more kids to go to work for you. <laughs> I don't know, but it's it's so true, right? You know, I sort of say to people, if you know, if you could have nine passive income, you know, streams, you you are in a very comfortable position. Oh yeah, especially like during we learned that during the pandemic, like none of my like my jobs were not passive income. They're physical working jobs. Yes, I had my, my uh, investment money, but to me, that wasn't, that investment money is weird, like in the stock market, because I don't consider it passive income until you start withdrawing it. So it's, it's got to be converted. So like right now, I don't consider it passive income. I just consider it part of the 40 year plan that eventually it's going to be converted. And then it's going to send money every month. And then it'll be a passive thing. But right now it's like, I'm not taking money out. It's like, you know, like you said, that people like the example you gave earlier, somebody buys a house and like, well, I want to get the 200 pounds or whatever it is every month. And you're like, why? No, no, put it back in, get another house, get another house. Like I said, then when you got 10 houses and you're getting 2000 a month, you're like, oh, this is cool. I like this. But at one, it's like, you, like I said, you're riding a duck. That, <laughs> you're riding around on a duck. I like that image. It's <laughs> probably going to be a, an NFT or something for that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> go. A golden duck with a dude on the back. It's, it's 200 pounds. <laughs> like the poor duck, poor duck. <laughs> How much of this is mindset? I mean, because it's like, I mean, I get this. This is the logic. This is, and I, and I love this. I mean, I, I could I could talk to you all day. It's, um, it's it's the you follow the formula, follow this, do this, do this. 
how much of it for you is mindset? How much of it is a case of it's up here? It's not about so much. So much of it is. And people are like, oh, that's woo-woo stuff, like the secret. It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, if you think positive things, money will come in your mailbox. But it's like you have to have a good mindset because the mind it plays tricks on you. It's like you always, you never think you're doing good enough. You're always, you know, we all have self, you know, limiting beliefs, doubts, you know, like me growing up, you know, we didn't talk about money. I didn't learn about money until I was 26. So it's like, I have to always be, I'm always listening to podcasts. Like, I mean, nonstop, like if it's motivational, I love when people interview other people and it's like somebody's doing something. Cause that's how you find these things out. Like people are listening to this today. They're probably gonna be like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. You know, when you, you could become an accredited investor and buy stuff. I'm like, yeah, I didn't know that either until a couple of years ago. No one told me. I, I just lucked it. I heard these guys talking about it on a podcast. I'm like, wait, what they bought? What? How did they do that? And then I, I went and found the guys because I knew them from a, a marketing event. And I'm like, Hey, I heard you on a podcast talking about this, 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 like, Oh yeah, we, we bought these uh, smoothie shops, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, how does that work? Who, who do I talk to? What do I do? You know, and it's like, and you just start talking to them. And, and, you know, and that's one tip I can give you here is don't ask them for anything. Just be like, be inquisitive. Be like, oh man, because people are asking one here, say, hey, can I pick your brain on how you did this? And people are like, oh my God, no, don't say that. But go up there be like, oh, I heard you on a podcast. That's so cool. Congratulations. You guys are doing, you bought these things. That's so cool. That's a dream of mine is to own other businesses. What's the best way? Who should I talk to? And then they will point you in the right direction. And then that's how I ended up getting into this group that I'm doing these other deals with because I asked questions. I went to heard them and I'm like, that sounds cool. Then I went and found the guys. I'm like, Hey, who did you talk to? Oh, we talked to so-and-so. Okay, cool. I'll talk to so-and-so. He's like, Oh yeah, we got this group, blah, blah, blah. If you, if you reach these requirements, you can do this. And then, but you can't be a pain in the ass. If you're paying the ass. We kick you out. All right, cool. I'm not a pain in the ass. I'm pretty cool. Let's be friends. <laughs> and, then, and then you just go, but you'll, there's just so much out there, but yeah, circling back to mindset, you have to keep a positive mindset. I mean, you know, 2020 was, that was, a, that was the toughest I, I've ever gone through. I mean, it was like literally being told that you can't run a business. Like, Hey, your business is not essential. You don't get to work. It's like, I wasn't getting a paycheck from a job. It was like, literally I was told you cannot work. And I'm like, you know, I have a family and kids and this is not really going to go well. And then our government was like, yeah, but we're going to give you in a couple of years, we're gonna give you $1,200. I'm like, Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. My rent on my building, 6,000 for my gym. You're going to give me $1,200. Cool. Thanks guys. So, you know, it was tough, but I keep telling myself it's going to get better. You know, we're going to get through this, you know, talk to my wife and my kids be like, Hey, you know, we might have to go without some things, but you know, we're going to be okay. You know, we got to keep going. And then when things did get better, it's like, yeah, it's getting better. Let's keep buying. Let's keep doing this. And then of course this year happened and it's like, Hey, the stock market's going to go to zero and Bitcoin's going to go to nothing. It's like, it's not going to go, hopefully not, but you know, you just keeping that mindset of like, no, stick to the plan, stick to the fundamentals. You know, you're going to get to these goals. I've seen it. I've talked to, you know, over the years being a broker, I don't even know thousands of people where I was like, you're so inspirational. Like I, it was the coolest job ever. I tell people, cause I get inspired every day at work. Some people be like, Oh, you know, work sucks. Well, I'm like, man, this is cool. I talk to people with, you know, that are going through these crazy life things. And I get like to ask them questions and I get to put it in my brain of like, you can do this. And I'm like, this is so cool. But yeah, mindset, 100%. You got to work on your mindset. You, you got to read positive things. You got to listen to positive things. You know, audio, if you don't like reading audiobooks, some, you know, find good audiobooks. Anything from Jim Rohn, you know, he's been gone for a long time, but, you know, he's kind of like the one of the main guys that kicked off a lot of that stuff, you know, and just so many good ones. Another book that um, is amazing. I got to see him speak at an event here in Dallas. It's Ed Milet's new book. I don't know if you heard of Ed Milet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, his, it, was, it was literally, I was literally took my son to this event and literally had me crying. I'm like, dude, I'm really not happy about this. <laughs> but 
at the same time, it was amazing. So yeah, his new book, I think it's called like The Power One More, something like that. You can get it cheap on Kindle. I mean, um, amazing book, amazing human. You know, it's like, it was just so motivational. And he talks about mindset. I mean, the guy's worth like seven or $800 million. And he's just talking about how like the little things make him happy, but he always works on improving himself. And it's like most people, I mean, if I had $700 million, I say, you know, now I say, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't do anything. I would just sit on the beach and smoke cigars and, and drink, you know, really fancy drinks. But then I think if you did that for a month or two, you'd probably get bored. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you see a guy like that's worth, you know, that much money and he's out there working on himself, trying to improve himself, trying to be a better dad, trying to be a better husband, trying to be a better boss. And it's like, that's what you need. That's what you, we need more guys like him in the world. Is there ever a risk that you do get to a, you plateau? You know, and saying, well, listen, I kind of got enough of money. I'm kind of comfortable. You know, that danger ground of comfortable. You know, it's like, yeah, we could we could coast through here. Okay, we're not going to be sipping Mai Tais and Five Star all the way. But, you know, we're, we can take the foot off the gas a bit here. We can keep going. Or is that really what the plan's all about? And saying, no, no, we've got to keep going. We've got to go big. We've got to have a C-tip goal. We've got to go, you know, that aspect. You know, how, how do you stop yourself getting into the comfort zone? Because there's those days where you think, oh, that's great. It's so easy. Oh, you yeah. Know? There's, there's some days like that where you're like, before COVID, I mean, I joked around, we were doing really, really good in into 2019. And I was at a mastermind thing and we were talking about something and I made the mistake. I'm like, oh my God, I've never, I was like, I was like, man, my life is so easy now. It's like, you know, I've got my, my stock accounts killing it. My gym's killing it. Our consulting company's killing it. It's like, I'm like, it's like, I don't have to worry about anything and life is great. And, you know, and we were kind of like coasting at the time at our company. We have a lot of fun doing all this stuff. And it was like, I'd never been in this position. And then COVID happened and I'm like, whoa, apparently we weren't doing great. We weren't ready. You know, so I'm in a way, I'm kind of glad it happened to me. I say a young age, I'm 47 now, but I saw I was 45, but I'm glad it happened to me because it kind of gave me a wake up call to like, well, okay, you need to really take care of things better. And I think you can't, it's like that saying, it's like you're either improving or you're going backwards. There's no, like, I forget what the, it's, it's something like that, but there's no status where in nature, anything, nothing can ever stay in the same place. It's either improving or it's getting worse. It's either like you're either growing or you're dying, you know, you're gaining weight or losing weight. You're getting stronger or you're getting weaker. It's like, you can't be like, I'm just going to plateau and keep this pace. So for me, that's why I tell people with the way I'm designed it in my head is like, yeah, I've got my 40 year plan. That's going to be the, the foot's on the gas till we get there. But if, you know, in five years or whatever, when things are doing good, it's like, I'm still going to be Paul. I'm still going to be working. I'm just going to be, might be working in a very remote place and, and doing way cooler stuff. But I don't think you can let off the gas until you, you know, you feel like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm where I want to be. And, I, and maybe that's when we were joking around. Cause it's like, my oldest is 19 and I'm like, you know, give me a few more years. I want to be a grandpa, but not yet. You know, it's like, but maybe that changes the game for us. You know, maybe, you know, having grandkids is like, okay, you know what we're doing good. But then I think, even at the same time, my mindset's going to be like, okay, now I got to take care of this generation. So, you know, what, what can I sell? What, what are we working on today? You know, okay, let's, let's go help our clients. And because at, at the end of the day, I, my work is super rewarding because at my gym, I'm helping people reach their goals. And then my consulting, I'm helping people reach their goals, like helping them build their dream life of like, hey, what kind of business do you want? Oh, I want to do this, this, and this. Okay, cool. Because it's a choose your own adventure when you're an entrepreneur. It's like, which one do you want? Do you want the hundred hour a week job where you're, you're making a million dollars a year? Or do you want 37 hours a week and you're making like 200 and people are like, Hmm, I, I kind of like that second one. You know, that, that gives me some vacation time. Cause when you're younger, everybody says, I want the million dollars a year school. And like, it was a big thing in the States, like having this, Oh, I'm having a million dollar a year business. 
And then you get there and you're like, okay, cool. Now I'm on high blood pressure medicine. I'm not sleeping right. It's like, I'm stressed out and I'm in my thirties. And it's like, so then you start finding a lifestyle where it's like, you can still make money, have fun. And you're still have the foot on the gas. You're just not, you know, ripping the turbo up. Mm. No, it's so, it's, it is so, so true. It's really interesting. And I just, I suppose I'm, I'm thinking, I'm still, I'm still on your 40 year plan. Cause I, I really like it. And, um, I, I had the opportunity to meet actually Grant Cardone. And I mean, I think he was 64 at the time, 63, 64, that's a couple of years back. And, but he talked about, you know, like a 60 year business plan, but it's so I mean, it's like this, this business plans for, it's not just for me, it's for the kids. In fact, it's for the grandkids. You know, that's, that's the definition of legacy. It's multi-generational legacy. It's plans that go on through. And there's, there's something about that. Although I just, I don't know, part of me is like, you know, it, it should, it should it be that we all not saying we all have to fight for ourselves that actually, you know, do you get the stage when actually you are no longer just being of service to you because you've generated enough wealth to generate enough to actually carry your lifetime. But then that's exactly when you need to be of service to other people. You need to be, you know, to either have, you know, but like kind of pick on Bill and Melinda Gates and their foundations and, you know, their sort of, you know, uh, their goodwill projects, if you like, you know, do, do you think that'll ever come onto your horizon? Do you think it is? Is it something that, you know, you go multi-generational, you go, or you go for something outside of yourself, do you think? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think that's, I think that's something that anybody like is, is driven you know, and like I said, it has that fire in their belly where it's like, until that fire goes out, it's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I, it's so hard. Cause it's like, we were joking around. My wife and I is like, we didn't have anything growing up. Either one of us came, we both came from like, like her, her family was way lower middle-class. Mine was maybe middle-class at best, but we had no money, you know, and I didn't have things. My, you know, it's so like, when we had kids, we gave our kids everything. And you're like, oh my God, did we make, do we raise spoiled little brats? You know, it's like, where's the balance at? And then you kind of look back at it. And then it's like, but you, you want to help them. And that's what they were facing right now is that it's like, I don't want to help my kids to make them softer. So it's like, I make my kid, my son work and do his own thing. And I try to teach him about investing and try to help him that stuff at the same time. But I don't want him to be feeling like, Oh, you know what? I can just ride on dad's coattails for, you know, until I'm 30, then I'll try something. Cause there's a lot of kids in this generation doing that, which drives me nuts. I'm like, I'm like, go out and start doing something, do something, you know, it's like, so we, I, I rein it back a lot with him. But then when when you know someday when he has grand we have grandkids or whatever then yeah i can see myself you know totally spoiling them but then it's like it goes back to the power of compounding and this is the craziest stat and, and listeners are going to love this one and i hope everybody listening to this does this because it'll change the world and like i wish somebody would taught me this if you every year so say you have a grandchild or even a child every year you give them a hundred dollars on their birthday into a, an investment account just with the sp 500 so you just do a hundred dollars on their birthday for 18 years and you never invest another dollar again, they will be a millionaire. Think about that. It, it blows your mind. And people are like, well, that's impossible. It's only $1,800. And it's like, it's not $1,800. It's like you're compounding that money over 18 years and then you're giving them that money. And then, so from 18 to 65 is what? Uh, 47 years, right? Yeah, 47 years. They're, that money's gonna grow for 47 years uninterrupted. And it's crazy. I, the first time I heard it, I think it was a podcast or an audiobook. I actually got an investment calculator. I'm like, oh, there's no way this is right. And I did it. And I'm like, oh my God, it's just math and time. But people listening to this are probably going to be like, that's not even possible. How could you have a million dollars? And it's like, 
you can literally give a kid I mean, and the granted there's so many variables you know the kid turns 18 takes the money and and you know buys a race car and then you want to kill them you know it's like so that's a tough part in the states is like how do you get the kid not to spend the money you know when they're 18 or 20 um but to me to be able to impact people like that and in you know have like grandkids you know and, and teach them about money that's gonna be my job too is like the grandfather's like hey if you sell this you're gonna be it you're not hurting me you're gonna hurt yourself and you're gonna wake up when you're 60 years old and i'm gonna be long gone and dead and you're gonna be like wow grandpa was right i really screwed up you know, do you want to have, do you want to live with that? Or do you want to live with like, wow, grandpa was right. And I got a lot of freaking money because when I turned 18, I started putting $200 a month away. And now I've got, you know, $7 million, you know, things that nobody ever taught us, you know, growing up that these things are capable of, but then you get around rich people and they talk to their kids about the craziest stuff. They're like, you know, talking about trusts and UTMAs and okay, we're going to do this, this, and this, and we got to put this money in a trust. And I'm like, um, what's a trust? <laughs> you know, it's like, I was just a kid, you know, around these guys with money and they're talking about their kids' trust accounts. And I'm like, well, what, where, how's that work? You know, so it's, to me, it's never going to end. Like I want to impact a lot of people and help people and, and educate people with like basic stuff like that of just how you can help someone out so much. And then of course my family and then doing charity things like my daughter's autistic. So she's 17. So she'll be weird, a weird, a different situation. Like my daughter will be with us until we die. I mean, she can't live on her own. So I have to plan everything out differently than the average person is like, Hey, my kids are 18 and they're, they're gone now. Now it's like, we have to deal with guardianship and protecting her from, you know, somebody making her sign for something. Then we have to set up special needs trust for her. So that if something happens to us and she does get money, then that people can't get to the money without a second signature because she would just sign anything right now. And it's like, it's terrifying. So for that's, you know, that's a big piece for us too, is building, you know, a life where she'll be taken care of for her whole life and, and doing all that stuff. Is it funny how, you know, our, the responsibility we take on or, or how it is it affects our, our goals or intentions or, you know, and as you say, you have to, you're not just planning your life, you're actually planning your daughter's life, you know, as well. So it's, it's that, which, which again, brings a different perspective, you know, because I don't know, I've, I've heard different people sort of talking about, you know, handing down wealth and it's, you know, here there's an expression, you know, it takes one to make it, one to take it, one to break it, you know, and it's those three generations, right? So and you sort of go, listen, it's just because you give them a bunch of money doesn't mean you're doing them a favor. And and my, my wife is a, well, she's a barrister equivalent to attorney over, you know, for you guys. And we see it all the time. Families, there's over the, over the top of the coffin, the, the families are, are at each other's necks and they just want the money. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and, and the thing is quite often the money's not even there because nobody's tax planned. It's like all that money that has to go to the tax plan because nobody's tax plan this. And by the way, the asset that you are being gifted has to go up for sale straight away because a chunk of that is owed to the tax. And it's just, it's just, you know, complete collapse of everything. And the person who's, you know, sort of dead in the, in the box, they're thinking they did an amazing thing and an amazing gift for their family and all the rest. And it's like, no, no, it's, it's terrible. You've left this shitstorm behind you, you know, and that's, I don't know. Why is it? And you hear those stories all the time and it's, it's sad because that person is trying to do the right thing, you know, and it's, it, it's, it's funny. It's like, I think it was Shaquille O'Neal said that one time here in the U S he's like, my kids have a real hard time when I tell them that I'm rich, you're not rich. It's like, I'm rich, you know? And he's like, yeah, I might help you out a little bit, but no, you're going to go do things on your own. So that's one thing, like with my kids, you know, we, we, well, except for my daughter, cause we'll have to take care of her. But my son, I was like, I told him I'm helping you out through college and things like that. I said, but after that, bro, you're an adult. It's like, figure it out. You know, it's like, you know, I'm not, you're not going to be on my payroll of like, Hey, dad's going to help me. It's like, no, figure it out, dude. 
And then like, I, he's joking around. I'm like, you know, we might leave you something, but I said, mom and I are going to spend a lot of money when we're retired. <laughs> it's like, you know, and then you have charities and stuff like that. Cause granted, I want to help my kids out, but I don't want them to have that mindset. Like you said, of like, where's the money? Where, where's my cut? What's my cut? What's my percentage? Like, dude, let me put me in the ground first. <laughs> it's like, that's, I mean, uh, that's really interesting. So what's the cutoff for you? So in terms of you, well, you know, you've supported them, education, look after them on that side, you know, so all the principles, the, the teachings, the education, the lessons, the learnings. So that's a given. You're saying, yeah, happy to, yeah. more than happy to invest in that. Yeah, more than happy to invest in your future. But in terms of going, here's a monthly stipend here, whatever, it's like not happening. No, not happening. <laughs> nope. No. I was like, yeah, it's like, I'll pay, I'll help you out with, you know, school bills and things like that. But it's like, no, you're not, you're too old for an allowance. It's like, so he's a good kid. He works. He, he's a waiter. You know, he knows he has to make money. Cause I'm like, cause I've seen, like I said, I've seen too many cases where the parents give the kids too much. And then they're, they're 27 years old and they're living at home and they're just, you know, playing Xbox all night. And it's like, high school's over. <laughs> it's like, you know, and COVID didn't help anything. Cause then the kids got used to just sitting at home on their video games. You know, it's like, so it's been crazy. Yeah. So that, that was a big thing for him. I've always told him that I'm like, I'm going to, you know, as much as education as you need, I'm going to help you with that because, you know, that's important to us, you know, but I said, when the time comes and you're done with school and you're ready to do your thing, you know, graduate or don't graduate, that's up to you. I said, but when you're done, you're done. And I'm the payment, the helping's done. You know, it's like, you know, so it, it, trying to keep it where he's not spoiled brat. What, what lessons from your growing up did you take and, and have you been able to sort of put into place? Man, well, mine was so backwards. We didn't have anything. So for me, it was like, I didn't understand how money worked. I didn't understand how credit worked. I didn't understand how anything worked. I just knew we couldn't have stuff I wanted to have and we couldn't go on cool vacations that I wanted to go on. You know, so like when I was growing up, that was like my, my, my dream was like, you know what, I'm going to be a good dad. And, and if you listen to this, your dad or mom, you can't afford a trip or vacation. That's okay too. But it's like, but for me, it was like, I didn't have these things. And then I'm 23 years old standing on a beach in Rio. And I'm like, man, when I have kids, we're going to travel, we're going to do stuff. And then, you know, for me, it was like, I, I stuck to a promise. I made my wife is like, you know, we're going to have kids. We're going to do stuff like that. I said, but you know, every year my, my son and I, because my daughter, it's too hard. I have a hard time traveling with her alone because she's a girl and girls have girl stuff. And yeah, I need my wife for that. Um, but my son, I was like, you know what, every year we're just going to, every year, no matter what we're going on, him and I are going to fly somewhere. We're going on a trip. You know, we did it his whole life, you know? And, it, and like, he doesn't remember the gifts I bought him, but he remembers the trips I took him on. Like he remembers going to Denver to watch a Broncos game. He's a big Broncos fan. He remembers going to New York and Times Square. He remembers going to South Beach and seeing all these crazy exotic cars and Europeans speaking a different language. He's like, so I was like, I, I hopefully I, he remembers these things. I try to teach him that experiences over things when you're with your family is so important because it's like, yeah, you're going to get an Xbox and you're going to get another Xbox. And you're going to break your Xbox or your toys or whatever. But, you know, that was the biggest thing for me was, you know, be able to give him experiences to help it. It washes off on him. He does the same thing for his kids. It's so, I mean, that's the thing it's, it's, it's those experiences. And, and that's what I try and say to people, you know, when they're investing in their business, they won't invest in themselves, but they'll invest in their business. And it's like, you're the common entity, you know, the, the mind, the brain, whatever you go to this business, you go to that, you go home to your family, you go, go out with your friends, you do all this. You're the common entity for God's sake, invest at the top level. I, you, uh, whether that's experiences, whether that's education, whether that's, you know, as you say, trips abroad, you know, things that you see, things that you try, you know, uh, make mistakes, make experience, do whatever. 
invest at the U level and then the rest is easy, right? Or easier, I should say. Easier. Yeah. And I have some of the biggest breakthroughs, like when I go on trips and I get away, because when you disconnect from your world, like my routine is like, if I'm here, my routine's super dialed in. I have my mornings. I know my mornings is going to go. My afternoon is going to go. My night's going to go. I know, you know, what, what time I'll be home for, you know, everything. But then if I go travel somewhere, it's like your mind kind of disconnects and you start thinking about things outside the box and you have crazy breakthroughs. Like when you travel, it's fun. Like my favorite place I always joke around is like literally being on an airplane, you know, and just listening to music and like ideas just start pouring into your head. And you're like, what if we did this different? And what if we onboarded clients like this? And what if we set this gift on, Oh my God, we should be doing this. And, and you start to think of things and then you come back and it's like, yeah, that, that trip cost you a few thousand dollars, but it might've made you $50,000 because you just made three different changes in your business because you're listening to a podcast and, and so-and-so like Ed Milet or somebody said like, Hey, you should do this. And I'm like, I never thought of that. Let's add that in my business. And then, cause we don't, we don't disconnect from our business enough, especially if a lot of people listen to entrepreneurs, they probably know the feeling is like, we're in the business, we're working on the business, we're doing all the things and we're trying to improve the business. We're trying to make more money for our families, everything like that. We're not taking care of us. You know, it's like, you know, that mental health is so important, you know, and mindset, reading books, going out for a walk, disconnecting, you know, and just taking trips, going and seeing new things that inspire you. So not some random statistics that people would rather t- tell you about their sex life than they would about what's your bank balance or what you're getting paid. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure somebody's done a survey somewhere. Oh, I'm it sure. Was, it was along that lines. You know, people, people, I don't know, maybe, and I think Europeans are probably bloody worse. You know, we just don't talk about it. It's like, how much are you earning? It's like, you can't ask someone that. Dude, yeah, it's it's like taboo. It's like you can't talk about that. It's like we can talk about the Kardashians. It's like it, it's like you should be able to talk about money. Yeah, and if people are like, "Well, I don't want to tell people," how, but like, that's fine. But still, feel comfortable talking about money. Nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah, well, it's just it's crazy, right? I suppose is it connected to ego? Is it connected to you know self worth? You know, it's like what I earn is then connected to who I am as a person or whatever. Because I mean that. Like you, I can't. Uh, there was somebody in, I think it was Amazon, or one of them, as you say, was like a forklift driver, but took all the options all the way through. And what, I'm pretty sure it was Amazon. Took all his options all the way through, worked in the first Amazon warehouse. And it's <laughs> now like still driving the bloody forklifts and tens of multi millionaire. Yeah. You know, but that's the thing is like he didn't have the biggest opportunities of everyone, but he took the, he took the opportunities that he had. He made the most of it. He, he sort of, you know, he banked them. He, he sort of kept kept turning up kept showing up so it's like don't have to have the biggest paycheck in town it's what you do you know and that that's the key thing you know and yet yeah people are too embarrassed to sort of talk about it and you're like really you know is that not to be of service and to help each other and to you know share stories and lessons and insights i mean that's what the older generation did they sat sat around a campfire and they sort of passed knowledge on from man to boy right you know so i'm reminiscing now but but that's it right you know (laughs) But you do, you pass on the experiences to try and save the, you know, to make the next generation wiser. But yeah, I think social media has had a big play on that too. Because people, are, it's almost like uh, the value. They don't feel, they don't want to talk about things because they, you, know, you see all these crazy things on social media and you're like, well, I don't, I don't have that kind of money. I can't do those things. You don't have to do those things. That person's probably not happy. They're, it's like, they're an actor. They're an actress. It's like, do the things that make you happy. Like you said, you got to take some, a little bit of risk and take the opportunities that are in front of you. Like you said, the forklift driver at Amazon. I mean, how many people probably didn't take those options? Probably 90% of the people didn't take them. They're like, Oh, you know, that's right. That's for rich people. I'm just a, I'm just a forklift operator. I don't, I don't need to buy the stock options. And then it's like, but if somebody would have talked to you about it, because you know, all the executives, we know what they're doing. They're buying every option they can get their hands on anybody that's been educated. 
But if you don't know, you don't know. So it's like when, when an opportunity comes along, you got to be willing to take a little bit of a risk. So, so true. So, so true. Is, is there any rules? And I, and I always like coming back to the likes of, you know, the power of 72, you know, the rule of 72, they call it, you know, which is for anyone listening, it's, it's along the lines that, you know, and it, it works both ways, I believe. So you invest a pound or a dollar in, in something at 10%, it, it doubles in, in 7.2 years, or you invest a dollar in at 7.2%, it doubles in 10 years. Is is there any kind of things like that, which you, you sort of, like I say, I mean, I like that uh, that aspect of the hundred dollars for kids. Or is there anything else that you uh, you you sort of always marvel about with with finance compound? Oh, yeah, that one I love because I like to talk to people about that because my people don't understand that the rule of seventy two. It's like you just divide it by that, and they'll tell you how quick your money can double. And then when you're like, oh, I can double my money in seven years or five years, it's like yeah, it's it's capable. You know, the biggest ones like that compound interest, eighth wonder of the world. You know, you can Google that one. Einstein's the one that said it. And he was a pretty smart dude. It's like it's so powerful. And the thing, the thing that sucks the most about it is when you look at a chart, it doesn't really kick in until that 35, 30, 50th year. It's, it's like, it's slow. But then every year after that, the compounding is like you, and it's, I, I don't know, my wife will try to disprove this probably when we're older, but I don't know if you can spend the amount that it compounds in a year, because at the end of your life, it's compounding at an insane rate. I mean, it, it's in nuts. I mean, you think about it, for the person listening, like, so if you have a hundred thousand and you get a 10% return, you're getting 10 grand. But if you have $10 million and you get that same 10%, you're getting a million dollars a year. And what are you doing? Nothing. You're just getting a million dollars every year. And it, it just keeps doing it. And then if you don't spend it, then that becomes 11 million. And then that times 10% is 1.1 million. Now you got an extra hundred thousand dollars. So you can go buy a, you know, a Porsche or something. It's like, it's just that the coolest thing ever, if you haven't done it yet and you're listening is go mess around with an, uh, a compound interest calculator. It's crazy. It's motivating too, because you see it and you're like, but you have to have, you want, you have to be more glass half full than half empty. Because if you look at it like, oh yeah, the first 10 years sucks. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. It's not, you don't have enough money more than likely for it to do anything for it to compound. But once it kicks in, it's the most powerful thing. I mean, it's, it, it'll change your life once you understand it. Yeah. That's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. Um, <laughs> I love this. It's like it's it's sort of food for thought for this in terms of you know, and I, I like overpayment calculators with loans, etc. As well, it's always interesting to, to see what's what's possible, what you can do. You know, so tell me what's what's on the horizon for you. I mean, is is there more books in Paul? You know, is is this you know more and you know what what else are you in planning or hoping to do? Yeah, right now you know rebuilding things from the the shutdown, still getting everything going back together, and then. You know, the, the big goal is, you know, opening or buying into more businesses and more opportunities to create my five and 10 year plan on top of my 20 year plan. So it's like, I've got my spaces. Um, and there, there will be a third book eventually. It's funny because I was talking to somebody about it and they're like, okay, so you did the first book of like how to start a business, how to run things. And you did the money one. Then it's like, okay, the, the last one will be like, cause I'm a big person of like, I won't write about it if I haven't done it yet. So once you know, I get this passive income plan done and how I got there and what I did and how much work it is to get there, but it's doable and giving people a roadmap on how to do it. Then there'll be a third book, but that could be five or 10 years from now because I have to have proof of concept and be able to put it in writing that like, Hey, this works. I did this, these steps. Cause the, the money fight book talks a lot about that. Like it has a rule 72 in there, compound interest. Um, you know, a bunch of calculators gives you examples of people where it's like, Hey, this is, you know, Bob didn't start investing at 25 when Tom did. And then at 30, Bob started, but Tom kept going and he had twice as much money and things like that. They try to educate people through story of 
you can do these things if you just start taking action. So, but the third book will be kind of encompassing, you know, the final piece of like, Hey, this is how you build this passive income machine is what I like to call it. Like a velocity money machine. It's just something that you feed the machine and there's big, the gears just keep moving, you know, and it's like, you're spitting out, you know, you have your, your investments, then you have your real estate, then you have your private equity, and then you have, you know, all these different things. And then as long as you're feeding the machine, the gears just keep moving. And then the compound interest keeps moving and it just keeps growing and it becomes more and more powerful. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that'll be a little bit. <laughs> it's great. Cause I mean, and that's not everyone gets us either, you know, cause even, I mean, I see podcasts, you know, interviews are passive assets, you know, they're a different form. They don't necessarily have a financial tag per se or a direct financial tag, but it's great. You know, listen, people can listen to, you know, you can't wear it out. They go online, they can be listened to again, 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 or whatever, and referred back to and, and done in so many ways. And I know for me, that's, that's a key thing is like, you know, assets are there, writing books are there, you know, and these are all assets. It's like, once you've written it, you can't, well, you could, or you can't unwrite it. You could unpublish it, but why would you do that? Yeah. You it's wouldn't like, do that. You just, you just capitalize in on it and saying, yeah, I can't unwrite this there. And then the next one, the next one. And, so even for myself, I'm saying I, I kind of get this gut feeling that my ninth or tenth book is going to be, you know, having had all the experience of writing the ones before will be the, the one, right? You know, so kind of go, well, oh, let's crack on and get the get books one through eight written and, and out there. So, yeah, so yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's it's very, it's very, I find it very inspiring talking to you. It's sort of I can give myself a kick up the arse, you know, so. Uh, well, great. it just motivates, you know, it's just fun to talk to people and like talk about your dreams and goals because, it's such a weird society we live in right now. It's like, it's almost looked down on where you keep all, oh, you just bragging about stuff. It's like, no, I'm talking about my goals and my dreams. It's like, it's not bragging. It's like, I, I have friends that are way more successful than me and they have, you know, and it's like, I'd love talking to them. I want to know what their next goal is. Like, you're like, Hey, what, what, what's next for you? It's like, you know, you, you're doing all these things and, they're, and to them, they're like, they think they're just getting started. They're just like, Oh man, you know, I'm really just trying to get to this next level. And I'm like, there's more levels. <laughs> so it's like, but the average person will like see stuff on social media and be like, oh, so and so is bragging about their blah, 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 or oh, they got a new car, or they think they're better than us. It's like, no, they're just they're just going after a goal and and they're showing the result of it. And it's it's so funny because you'll see that like somebody gets a new car and they post it on social media. Some people are like, Oh man, that's so cool. And they're people like, Oh, it must be nice. And you're like, Oh, I can tell where your mindset is, <laughs> you know, it's like. I see something. I'm like, that is so cool, man. I'm so excited for you. That's that's because I want to be an abundance person. I want to be like, oh, if so-and-so can have that, then I could do that someday. Or I could, you know, I could have, I could go on that trip or I can eat. I could go have lunch in Greece, looking at the ocean, you know, you know, cool stuff like that. I'm like, I just get excited. <laughs> it's so true. It's, it's um, even I find my own branding, you know, call myself Mighty P and, and generally in UK and Ireland, everyone's like, you're so up yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you go further field america typically americans are like good on you go for it yeah, you know go for and it like, <laughs> you know it's like that that's that's a reminder to me it's not so much for the outside people it's kind of going you turn up as your mighty self you keep doing that you know and it's like you know it's that reminder to you because yeah listen if you listen to your next door neighbor or your you know your dog's brother's mother's cousin you, you wouldn't do a bloody thing you'd just no. give up and get back into bed you know yeah they'll talk you out of everything oh you don't need that yeah, it's crazy. It is totally crazy. We've we've gone all over the place here, and, and it's, yeah, it's yeah, this beautiful. Fun. Yeah. So tell me, I mean, if you were to try and describe your fire in your belly in one or two words, Paul, what would, what would it be? Possibilities. Uh, to me, it's like 
the possibilities are eight because you can be you can be negative and have no possibilities or options or you can just be positive it's like you know like the market's down i'm like i could be crying or i'm like oh man this is a really good opportunity it's like i'll never get to buy amazon this cheap or apple this cheap or the possibilities of like yes covid sucked we couldn't travel but now it's like oh i've had two years to plan in my head where i'm going on my next trip so it's like you know that that fire and you know just have the possibilities because until you're done breathing you can do so many things it's you know you you listen to like these super successful people or famous people and at the end of the day they're just a person it's like there's so many possibilities you just never know it's like it's just so crazy it's like you guys had the was it the back in the american idol days that lady over there in the uk that came to the u.s and nobody knew anything about her and she became like a famous singer and she was old <laughs> it's just like you just never know i mean you just never know i love it and, and I, I would almost add a word to that you know, and I, I normally don't like it. Give them guess the second word, but no. it's possibilities and perspective. PMP is yes. like possibility and perspective. It's like possibilities there, but if you don't have the right perspective to see it, you won't see it. Oh, and yeah. Uh, well, I like so, that. So true. He goes, there's probably a book there in itself. Possibilities and perspective. Possibilities and perspective. Yeah. I like that a lot because it hits home. Yeah. Tell us where can people reach out? Where can they find you, hunt you down, stalk you, track you, any of the above? Uh, my favorite place is Instagram, uh, Instagram forward slash P-A-U-L period H-A-L-M-E. I like that for social media way better than anything else. Facebook is just a beating. It's like, it's like, yeah, I don't need that drama. Um, or my website, P-A-U-L-H-A-L-M-E.com. Um, but I put a lot of good stuff on Instagram and, you know, traveling and different tips and stuff and different investment stuff. And just, you know, just me enjoying the journey and teaching people what I know. Is there a final message you'd like to leave our listeners today? Uh, just take action, you know point yourself in, point yourself in a direction. It's like, you know, I, I'm, you know, I like the stock market and, you know, Pete likes real estate and my friend Bruce likes commercial real estate only. My friend Travis will never invest in the stock market because he had one bad thing happen. So he just buys different things that he can flip and then puts a lot of money into houses and flips those and makes money. So you can do anything you want, but if you don't take action, you're going to do nothing. So find something that inspires you that makes you like oh man i really like that and then start learning more about it and do it because there's people that make money in properties people that make money in the stock market people make money all over it just but if you don't take any action and don't do anything then you know it's going to be tough and your 60s are probably not gonna be that much fun yeah yeah do it for your older self <laughs> yeah do it for your older self so he's having that peanut that little pot that little umbrella drink on the beach <laughs> yeah the pina colada what do you want a big one or a little one you decide yeah. <laughs> you decide <laughs> yeah write that duck out of here go for it oh listen paul it's been awesome talking to you thank you so much for for being here for being present for taking the time to to share all that and uh, listen I, I wish you all the best and uh, i have no doubt we will talk again so thank you appreciate you yeah that was fun thanks for having me well that was another great episode of fire in the belly you know this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys and boy boy sometimes it is personal it's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.